1: Welcome, guys, to the Boga Passar podcast. As always, this is Scott from Boston, and this is Jim from Los Angeles, and very special guest joining us today. I shouldn't even say, not even a guest. He is a he's a family member of the of the Boga Passar podcast, longtime listener, one of a one of our first, you know, really let's just call it a fan somebody that reached out to jim and i right when we had uh you know put dracula out and just said you know i love what you guys are doing i'm a huge horror fan if you ever need help with the podcast anything i can do so we, you know we kept in touch with him and he shared like some great artwork with us and in the last i don't got a few, couple of few episodes here he's done all the editing yeah. um so without further ado livio marino thank you so much for hopping on here
2: well, thank you. Uh, you honor me with that introduction. I, I appreciate it. Uh, no, I mean, it, you guys uh, caught my caught my attention right off the bat. It, I saw a podcast and "Man Made Monster" next to it. You, I was hooked from there on <laughs> out. So, and <laughs> yeah,
1: we've heard that quite a bit. That I think a lot of the I don't, a lot of the love, a lot of you know what's drawing people into the Borgo was you see a lot of folks doing you know the Dracula, the Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and you know something that was really important for Jim and I was to obviously you want to hit those, you know, the, the pillars those top classic films. But to you know really get into the weeds again, like you said, man made monster and you know yeah. night monsters and all that stuff. And to me, I've, I mean, those have been some of the the most fun episodes. Is really mining you know some of those like the culty fun films. So that's great. Yeah, just really, really appreciate all of your your efforts here, and it's just so, so good to have you on here finally. And um, I can't wait to talk uh, Son of Dracula, the nineteen forty three film. So as we typically do, we'll go through the cast really quick and then start digging right into it. So of course, Mister Wolfman himself, Mister Lon Chaney Jr. as Count. Anthony Alicard. yeah is a is right. a, a proud Italian. You got to love that, Anthony Alicard, right?
2: Yeah, I assume to his vampire friends he's just known as Tony, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Count Tony. Yeah,
1: Count T. Yeah, Anthony Alicard slash Count Dracula. Louis albrighton as the gosh, dare I say, um the, just the beautiful, stunning, love her, love her so much. Catherine Caldwell, I mean, just a. Amazing. Uh, Robert Page as her boyfriend for our fiance, I should say, Frank Stanley. Ellen Akers, who we all know and love from her uh, long story career with Universal, as Sister Claire Caldwell. Frank Craven as Dr. Harry Brewster. And Edward Bloomberg as Professor Laszlo, who I guess is kind of the uh, uh, Professor Van Helsing Jr. in this one. So um, Laszlo kind of the um, has all the insight to the, uh, the lore and, and whatnot of, of vampirism. So... Yeah, Livio, as we have guests on the show, you know, Jim and I are kind of like to, you know, we open it up to the guests and basically say any film that Jim and I have not covered is really up for grabs. And right off the bat, you came with Son of Dracula. And even before we had um, discussed you coming on here, you posted a ton of just like really cool artwork from the film and just like some, you know, cool facts. So obviously this one, this one means pretty, uh, it's pretty important to you. So just tell us why, why Son of Dracula?
2: Yeah, no, uh, you're right. I, I think it's, you had touched, you guys both touch on this a little bit on the black cat episode, you know, when kind of you're younger and watching the quote unquote monster movie is the kind of the main one. I think Son of Dracula is a bit like black hat in that it's it kind of slips under the radar. Um, I know when I was younger and you know, going through all like the universal VHSs and stuff like that, I didn't really, this one didn't really strike my interest. And I, I'm a big Cheney junior fan, a huge Cheney junior fan. It wasn't until I was, you know, high school age or older, where I really started to kind of get into this film. And it, it was like a, a treasure trove of of hidden gems for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Just this is, I think this is kind of, like I said, flown under the radar there's a lot here that's, that's good i know i know it has has critics and and some rightfully so but if you kind of look at the contemporary films around the time so this is you know end of 1943 and 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 just the i guess the level and not not to downplaying of the other you know horror movies around that time but specifically universal of the the monster rallies and and captive wild woman and jungle woman and all like that mm. this one is is really a diamond in the rough the, the the direction the atmosphere the just the, the overall look um the fact that they they employed you know more than one uh, African American actor and actually gave them credit. You got yeah. a strong female lead who, who is really the MVP of the movie. Uh there's there's so much more there's so much meat on the bone per se for here and there's so much more right. good than bad. So I think it's just a good one to to dive into.
1: I mean Jim what how about you? I know this is just you know from an atmosphere standpoint just a beautiful beautiful film. I'm sure that caught your eye
0: as a filmmaker yourself but you know it's how's your love level for this one I, I think i fell into the group that didn't quite appreciate this as much when i was younger uh when i first saw it i probably saw it i i bought it on on vhs tape when all the universals came out in the uh what is it about the mid 90s there it was like 94 mm-hmm. 96 or so but what it what did uh, Livio was talking about the setting. And and that's one thing that did grab me because I was, I would say it was like probably 94, 95. I was living in Savannah, Georgia. I was going to college at SCAD at the time. So I was living, I was a Northern guy living in the South. Uh, I had read, and I was reading actively, I think like Vampire Lestat and some of the the Anne Rice uh, Vampire Chronicles. And so I did really dig this setting. I love this idea of like, okay, you're going to take, dracula not not only out of transylvania but you are going to take him out of london you're going to take him you know, and if you're going to bring him to america you know what neater thing than to bring him to the southern gothic thing and i think mm-hmm. uh it is a standout i mean now i look at it as a standout of what i call the spangly star era of universal horror it's that middle one with where you know when the, the title comes up it's no longer the plane like Around mm-hmm. the globe, it's the universal march. The yeah. It's yeah, it's the Spangly Star era of universal horror, and no, and I, I do think it's great. And as I've watched it recently, I have come to appreciate a lot of other things about it as well. And I, I can't wait to get into it,
1: definitely. I mean, you're bringing Dracula to America, what better casting than Lon Chaney, right? I mean, is the big brash, I mean, yeah. for all the reasons we loved him in like you know, like the Wolfman, you've got just the, the old English gentleman and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, the loud rash, I
0: think he was a savvy pick for this role in a, in a few ways at the time. I don't know much about the box office of this film. I don't know how successful it was, or if it was a hit or I, I think it was, it was a reasonable hit. It was not a bomb of any no. kind. I don't think. No, no it was, it, me- it was,
2: yeah, it, it was certainly a, it, it certainly made a lot of money. Um, It, it was yeah. one of the, one of the top ones yeah. in 43. Um, yeah. Not not quite to the level of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, but it's right up there with that.
0: Right, and he's he's off on off hot off the heels of uh, of Wolfman, and then goes to Frankenstein. I mean, he he is Universal's primo guy at the moment because mm-hmm. you know let's let's face it, like Lugosi's on the outs, and and Karloff's kind of sick of this shit at this point, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, I uh, think
2: Karloff's in arsenic and old lace, you know, at this yeah. point he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's touring absolutely. and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: And no, no, no more makeup. He's, he's over it. And, and Lugosi too. Stuff. Lugosi was on Broadway and doing his thing. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. this is, this is a handoff to a younger generation where he gets to play, you know, he's played the Wolfman. Now he's, he's played Frankenstein monster. And now he's played Dracula. He's played all the big three and no one, none of the other guys did that. So, you know, it's, it's a cool thing.
1: And yeah, I mean we'll get into it. I think there's a little bit of, you know, some hate, not, not not a ton, but you know, the 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 haters I guess are always saying, you know, Lon Chaney, yeah, how could he be Dracula?" And he's not. I mean, and we'll definitely get into it in the film here. This 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 Dracula is not the Count Dracula. He's a descendant of Dracula, whether it's, you know, true, the, you know, the son of Dracula, but he's not Bella Lugosi. He is a different, mm-hmm. you know, line of 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 vampire and
2: you know, like you yeah, said, you bring you know i was, was going to say if, if there's one one role um a universal horror role from lon cheney jr that really sums up his whole career as an actor i think it's this one and it's not because it's his best it's not but it's just that it's i mean even in the title son of dracula and the number one criticism of lon cheney in this role it really has nothing to do with Lon Chaney. It's that he's not Bela Lugosi. And yeah. that's that's a little bit unfair to him. Uh, so it's is, a lot yeah. unfair to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody yeah. ever can live up to that. I mean, with the exception of the Wolfman, all, all of these famous roles he's coming into in this era of Universal, he's playing for the second time around.
0: Inherited, yeah.
2: And, oh. and, and so he's... He's someone that forever wanted to be his own actor. He never wanted to be Lon Chaney Jr., right? He wanted to just be Creighton Chaney, the actor. Right. Sure. And all throughout his career, he's you know he at this especially this time of his career, he's he's constantly put up against you know all these other actors again you know in these roles. So I yeah. I think this is a good I guess representation of of what he had to deal with throughout his yeah. career. Yeah,
0: yep. and, and this, he's still living under the shadow of his father at this point um, who did not die that long before this. He died, you know, you know, 10 years before this, a little bit more than 10 years. And we have to remember also that, that, you know, Cheney was a contract player at Universal at this point. And it's to a modern conceit of, of how films are made. You know, now if, if someone wants to make a film, a studio wants to make a movie, they go out and they, they go to Tom Cruise's agents and they say would Tom be interested in doing this role and you know based on that he says yes or no at this point you have to think of this like school this is an assignment Cheney Jr was given they're like you're no you're you're playing Alleycard in this movie that's it you know he he's on a, a weekly salary and they're like this is how you earn your salary here's here's a role which is in a way it's good it's steady income it's it's work uh, back in the day that these these actors would have But again, it it takes some of your autonomy off. You get this assignment. You're like, you've got to play Alucard and you've got to figure out how to do it for Son of Dracula. And yeah, I mean, we say he he, he gave it a swing. I mean, you
1: know, I was going to say, I mean, we see it so much like with the films in in the 30s, like how many times we said, you know, Dwight Fry, what an amazing actor, what a talent. And then you see him just in these thankless roles. But we've brought it many times. He's a contract player, right? He could be Renfield and Dracula one day, and then he's like reporter number three in the next movie. And it's okay. I mean, Again, he, he, exactly. You're given an assignment, you do what you can for your bosses, and you, you move on to the next one.
2: Cheney was not, from all accounts, he was not happy at this time. Uh, you know, he, he there's two big things that did not go well for him in the, at the start of 1943. One, he, he really, really wanted to get into the army as a chef. He, he was a pretty talented chef, and he was classified as 4F, which uh, I think it was like for some form of physical disability, right? Yeah. I'm not really sure what. Yeah. And also Universal was making a big deal at this time about the remake of the Phantom of the Opera. And Cheney, you know, despite probably would not have gone well for him had he, had he got the role. He really, really wanted to, yeah. to try that Phantom of the Opera role. His
0: father's role, right? Yeah. 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 And it
2: was actually reported, you know, a lot of the gossip columns at the time that Cheney was going to do the Phantom of the Opera. And I don't know if that means that he was actually penciled in, but he was probably at least considered. But then, of course, studio went off the lot got Claude Rains and then Chaney wound up with son of Dracula. So he per- personally, he probably wasn't in the, the brightest spot uh, mentally, you know, during this film. And and he still, you know, I think he still did a terrific job.
0: He didn't for phone sure. it in. That's for sure. No, yeah. he gave it, he gave it a, he gave it a swing. Like I said, so. So Livio, I got to mention this really quick on a personal
1: note. I know you had a personal celebration not too long ago and actually dipped into the Lon Chaney cookbook. You
2: <laughs> You got
1: to tell us a little bit about that super quick
2: yeah so uh well yeah i'll try not to get too uh too off the rails here i i am i am a notoriously picky eater and and it drives my wife up up the wall because she is she is not she will she'll try anything and and i'm the guy that orders the same thing every single time no matter where we go and uh and so it was our our 10-year wedding anniversary just this past weekend and um wanted to kind of you know we're weren't really wanting to go out anywhere so just trying to think of something something new that we can make. And I thought, okay, yeah, I've heard forever about this recipe from Lon Chaney Jr. about uh, lamb chops. It's lamb chops and broiled lamb chops uh, with pineapple slices with uh, Mogan David wine, kind of a, a sauce that that goes over it. And to me, that sounded terrible because I, I never <laughs> had had lamb chops and, and it just, none of that together sounded appealing at all. But I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, it's got the whole Lon Chaney element, so that that keeps me hooked. And good we man. made it, and it was it was really good. I we overcooked the lamb a little bit, but aside from that, it was actually it was it was outstanding. So I'll I'll be making it again for sure.
1: Nice, good man. All right, let's get right into *Son of Dracula*. So, opening scene, um, like some other Universal scenes before, we're opening up in a train station. So we meet Doctor Brewster for the first time, who's one of our you know leading authoritarians, I guess. And Frank Stanley, who we're going to meet in there, meeting this I guess, mysterious town Alucard. For some reason, he is, um, we don't know anything really about him. We don't know really why he's in town. So, Frank and uh, Brewster are at the train station to welcome Alucard to town. <laughs> Alucard is nowhere to be found, uh, not on the train, but certainly quite a few boxes. And I think somebody makes the comment that it does sound like Alucard was just, I guess, scheduled to visit for maybe a week or two, but there's like boxes upon boxes upon boxes with the um, alicard crest. And I uh, don't know, Livio, as you mentioned, they didn't waste too much time giving us a little, little hint on what Alicard might be. Right.
2: Yeah. They, they like the, the third spoken line in the movie or something, you know, doc nosy, Dr. Brewster, who, who has a character, I just despise, uh, you know, he comes up and he, he kind of turns sideways to the Alucard steel and he goes, D R A C U. I mean, not, not that it was a big secret, because it's obviously you know son of Dracula, but yeah. I mean you, they could have had a little more build up. You, know?
0: you, you would think, you're right? Yeah. Let it go at least ten minutes, but no.
2: Yeah, and uh, and I do want to point out. I, I was saying earlier that I, I watched this just a, a little while ago and tried to look at it as more analytical, and, and something kind of struck out to me that I really hadn't caught on before, and I think the film does really well is that they I think they capture the southern smallish town behaviors of the people mm. there specifically with dr brewster because uh, he's, he's obviously a very affluent you know doctor and he knows everybody and he's super nosy he's in yep. everybody's business and, and <laughs> he's totally. he's 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 in scenes that he probably has no business being in because he's not like a family member of the caldwells but he's <laughs> like he's at the will reading and, and and all this stuff but and a- as the film progresses you'll see more and more traits of that, of, of kind of this, you know, big, you know, family of money and there's kind of some drama behind the scenes and everyone wanting to stick their nose and, and kind of make a, mm. a play for this person should do this or this person should do that. And I, I, I guess I hadn't caught on to that, at least not as as early as the opening scene here. So I, I wanted to point that out. Yeah,
1: it might have been a little bit more interesting if Brewster, if they wrote him in as like maybe Colonel Caldwell's like brother or like, you know, like, like, the, like the true, you yeah. know, he's kind of considered like an uncle of, you know, of Kay and, and Claire. But yeah, to your point, definitely a small town at one point, you know, later on in the film. He's like, well, Alucard is—you know—he's definitely couldn't be staying in town because I—I well,
2: would know about it. It's like, okay. yeah, exactly. He, he, no he's like the the old, you know, gossipy person that just watches everything from the window and knows everything that's going on. He just <laughs> happens to be the doctor.
0: He'll, he only does one bit of doctoring in the movie, right, with the, the little kid. Yeah mostly yeah. i mean he, he pronounces the the colonel yeah i mean he kind of I,
1: tends to frank a little bit but yeah to your point there isn't a whole lot of doctoring like you said he has the great mm-hmm. house he has you know the, the 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 cool maid and you know at libio's point is you know knows everyone seems to be kind of like the the pivot man for all these little you know all the business going around going on in this town amongst all these people you know it all seems to go through yeah. brewster for some reason
0: definitely alucard does not travel light uh <laughs> <laughs> no he he there's a there's a horse-drawn carriage full of Full of his stuff that comes with them, and and I think, I mean, again, they they give it away very quickly. But I also do think the fun of this film is being in on the gag uh, from the beginning. You know, it's it's kind of just like getting a giggle at at everyone else trying to catch up. And and Doctor Brewster is the the Van Helsing of the movie, where he pretty much knows what's going on from the beginning. He, he does consult the the uh, the Hungarian signed historian guy, but um, but it's just everyone else. You know, it's it's the the uh, you know the, the, the Frank character who's kind of our our jo- you know Jonathan Harker, dare I say, David Manners type character, um, <laughs> who who spends a lot of time catching up uh, with everything and Evelyn anchors as well. So it is it is fun. We're just watching everyone trying to like uh, again. It's that thing, Livio. You you've been listening to the show and you, you hear me. I, I talk ad nauseum about this idea of like universal. Uh, I mean, post post Dracula and Frankenstein, post the first couple movies, they spend a lot of time trying to find this happy. Coexistence between the supernatural and everyday world and then the scientific and in every film they find this different little level where they 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 land on it and it just it just makes what's what you're about to see just believable enough and uh, and this film is is as the rest of them does a great job of it.
1: Yeah, and one thing they it's so true we mentioned a ton of time Jim and one thing that they didn't really mix too much in here was humor. Like once you yeah. get into the forties, they they kind of do a little bit of you know just some gags here and there, or you know there's always kind of one character who's kind of like the slapsticky. Like this right. one's very serious. This film, yeah, it's
0: played pretty straight. It's a grim movie. It has a spoilers. It's got a dark ending. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah. As opposed to you know the happy ending we we normally see, it's a bleak film, and and that's another thing I really do like about it. it's very it's especially especially
2: you, you think of the time period. You know, America's yeah. fully involved in the war at this point. And there's so much horror and negativity in the right. world. Most of the films around this time, just in general, were, I think, meant to be more uplifting and, and kind of a distraction. And, oh, yeah. and for a movie to be so dark and so many just because you're right, there's no happy you know ending for hardly any of the main characters in this <laughs> movie at all. And so for it to be so just kind of dark and, and downer. At, in 1943 is uh, oh, yeah. is something very unique. I think.
1: Yeah, it's, fantastic it's point. I know you go to escape horror, and you know you leave feeling even worse than you did when you went in. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, that was so, we'll get there. So yeah. So um, Alec Hart is not at the train station. So we fast forward really quick where well, we meet uh, Catherine, who is um, you know, kind of the leading, um, you know, female models in, in this film, but oh wonderfully, just beautiful, gothic, uh, such a strong character. I know we've always said, you know, over the you know course of like the Universal films and the RKO films, you know, they've just never really done a good job it, it, there's, been, there's been a couple of films that you know you have that really strong you know it's, character but she's the rarer ones yeah it's rare you're right yeah. and Catherine is just i mean just beautiful and just has like feels like she has a lot of you know weight and you know a real just a nice shine in
2: this movie i really like her a lot yeah. I, I do yeah. too i, I have in my notes i, I she's I her as gothically gorgeous i mean oh, yeah. she's and she does a lot with with very little she's not you know she doesn't do a whole lot of like facial expressions she doesn't tend to get really excited you know raise her voice and do a bunch of big theatrical things but at the same time she's able to get her point across and be a very uh multidimensional character i mm-hmm. mean she's she is by far, the MVP of this movie.
1: So from the train station, we have a horse-drawn carriage, and um, one of the plantation helpers meets Catherine at the door and you know, basically alerts her that Alucard was not on the, the train, but has his belongings, and she makes mention of there are other means of communication, um, basically letting us know that you know she's um, you know kind of a not a mystic in herself, but you know, is a believer of the mystical arts and the occult, so right away, you can see, you know, shortly thereafter, why she is drawn to Alucard. She's not the you know, she's not Claire. She's not the quote unquote norm. She's just something else with her. And they describe her as, you know, later on in the film is kind of, you know, a little bit more morbid. But, you know, the belief that, you know, she you know, she didn't need someone to tell her that Alucard wasn't going to be on the train. She is, knows from some other form of communication that she is going to see him later on tonight.
0: She, she's what we would call new age now. But you know, or in the <laughs> '80s we would have called her New Age. I don't know what we would call her now, but uh, she is a you know what, what's what's great about her again. It, it's like um, Lucy and Dracula, where she she doesn't quite fit in in this world too. She's a she's a bit of a an oddball, we could say. Uh, she has beliefs that don't run current with with a lot of you know the conventional wisdom of a, of a small southern town in the '40s. I mean, she, she she's sort of embracing. Uh, you know, metaphysics and telepathy and esotericism, which were very, very popular at the time. I, I, this wouldn't have come as a unknown factor. Uh, they wouldn't have had to have over-explain this at the time because it was kind of a rage uh, from the, thir- you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. And and her character, is, as you said, like, like, it fits that she's dark. She's, you know, she's pale with the darker hair and everything, the bangs and everything. She mm-hmm. she looks like she's the type of, of character that, and, so, and I guess in the, in the backstory, she's been to Europe, and this is where she met Alucard, Uh, and fell under his sway. So, uh, you know, and then she's returned and obviously this perpetuates what's, what's coming for us in the, in the movie.
2: So, so I had a a question and I might jump a little bit, but you mentioned, you know, she obviously her and Frank had gone to Budapest and that's where she had met Alucard, but she, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong and anybody listening can correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was the first female character who, willingly wants to become a vampire because that's you know spoiler alert yeah. that's, that's her plan all along she, she doesn't she has no interest in dracula she wants to be a vampire for her and frank you know Dracula's nothing more than a plot point really yeah at the, yeah. End, of, at the end of the movie so it, i don't think um in any film prior to this i mean definitely not in any universal but uh, I mean, you know, when you think of like Lucy and Dracula, she's attracted to Bela Lugosi's Dracula in a, in a sensual way, you know, she, right. but she's not attracted to the monster here. Kay wants to be that monster. She wants to be the vampire. Yes. That's what she desires. It has nothing to do with any physical attraction or anything like that. So right. I guess my, 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 my thought or my question is, do you guys think this is something she thought of and then, they just went to Budapest to, to to try to seek him out, or did they just happen to one day to say, hey, let's go to let's go to Hungary. And uh, she already maybe in that mindset of, as they call her in the film, morbid. She encounters Alucard and says, hey, this is what I want to be. So let's let's do it.
1: It's an interesting thought. And yeah, I mean, one of one of the things that I think some of the again, the haters of this film is the fact that Dracula is just a pawn. He's he's almost neutered because. She's oh he's being used by yeah by K right and and he is like he really you know he isn't the monster K is almost like is like to your point Lavelle he, you know she's the monster she wants to become the monster she wants to kill Alucard and then create this whole little vampire you know family with with Frank so. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very interesting dynamic, which, and again, I definitely can see why people don't like the fact that you kind of, you know, you neuter what should be the big bad of this film. And I think they did with with Alucard, but I can't think of another film, and certainly not at this time, where, if it, it, you know, that, that kind of plot point happens. And also, even with Alucard and Kay, there's romance there. Like, Kay isn't yeah. food to him. You know, Kay, mm-hmm. he hasn't turned Kay, and, you know, she's she's like the vampire bride. She's very much human. And he's romancing her. Alec is romancing her and marries her and moves into you know Doc Oakes. It a little bit later on in the film, but yeah, a couple
0: of tropes here we haven't seen before. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I'm I'm never quite sure if at what point this the twist part of her plan emerged. Did did, did she did she first kind of come under his sway when she came back and and had some time to think about it. Then she developed this, you know, double you know, betrayal plan. I don't know. Um, I don't know how long before this film they went to Hungary. I don't, Hungary, I, I did a little research and Hungary wasn't really, it had been a few years since Hungary would have been a, a wise tourist destination at this point. Let's just say that Hungary was going through uh, a lot uh, in the post in, from 38 on. Um, so it's not exactly, it would sort of be like, the equivalent of of you know going to like a really bad part of Afghanistan on a vacation right now or or something yeah. it, would, it would really be like maybe like Central Africa or something it would if you if you're going there on a mission to help people sure good idea if you're going there to have an enjoyable time it's it's poss- there are possibly good better places on the globe you could uh, visit and that's about what what Hungary was at this point which. Which plays into a theory I have about the film. I'll get into more. So
1: there's a scene right after this, after Alucard's um, boxes are being delivered, that Kay runs through a swamp and encounters we'll call the fortune teller Queen Zimba, who you know it's kind of reminded me of like Kuchman Skyer, like just like the you know, the older mystical you know we hate to use the word gypsy fortune teller type, yeah. who um, you know is in this this hut and is basically kind of warning Kay. That, you know, she's basically summoned Kay to her little, you know, her little shack. There's an angel angel of death hovering over the house, um, basically kind of foreseeing Kay's demise
0: into, you know, being Mrs. Mrs. Dracula, I guess. She says, I I see you married to a corpse, which is just a great line. Yeah, it is. Um, She, she is sort of a Maria ouspenskaya light, uh, just yes, a bit. You 100%. could really see Maria playing this role, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but what it does is it also brings in, she's like this, uh, we'll call her more an Eastern European mystic here in the South, which is, you know, the South has its own history with with Vudan and with with other religions that are that brought here through the diaspora and everything. Mm-hmm. So it all, the swamp is such a good location for this kind of uncanny business that, that goes on and and i will tell you I've, having been near a swamp swamps have lots of bats too and then obviously we have the bat that comes in and visits them and and kills kills the the lady so
2: yeah i think she's she is very reminiscent of maria usma's gaia yeah. except that she's about 150 years older than maria <laughs> <Usman's
0: Gaia>. right <laughs> Which makes for about four hundred, right? Yeah, yeah that's like right. Or <laughs> <laughs>
2: the immortal queen. So, yeah. um, and yeah. uh, and I have to point out too, you mentioned you know when the bat appears. So I'm a I'm a huge uh, nerd when it comes to film music, and and the reason is are all these '40s Universal uh, films yeah. and, and the great music here. So the with the exception of the main title, the main title is actually the only original uh, piece of music in the film, but the uh, that, that kind of that 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 theme that you hear for dracula was actually originally used for the invisible man returns but I, I think it's used to to great effect here throughout this movie
1: so yeah queen zimber kind of um you know gives the, the fortune and yeah bat comes in and we're not really sure who the bat is i guess you can just assume it's alakar dracula and um not really sure what happens to queen i think we learned just you know shortly thereafter that she has died of a heart attack. Um, So she collapses and uh, Kay runs off and pretty much ends the scene with uh, Queen Zim. So next scene, we are at the Caldwell house. where We get to meet our host, Colonel Caldwell, who is the father of Kay and Claire. And he's hosting a welcome party for Count Alucard, who, of course, hasn't shown up. So it's been later in the night. Sound like this party has been going on. Um, for you know, probably a few hours. There's music, there's dancing. It's certainly uh, you know kind of a happening, happening scene. And the colonel's in a wheelchair, and if he's suffering from um, you know just illness or, or whatnot, but he's getting tired and is ready to go to bed, and kind of cuts the night short. So asks his manservant to bring him upstairs. And meanwhile, the camera cuts out to the front of the plantation, and we meet Cheney for the first time. So you guys want to take us through this kind of cool introductory scene with
2: uh with lon yeah yeah so you know i i I think it's a great it's something totally i think unique uh, especially in this era for universal um or even in the 30s but you know cheney is very intentionally for a split second breaks the fourth wall and and kind of looks back at the at the camera and and doesn't hardly do anything with with his face isn't isn't very animated but just with his eyes and the the expression that he gives again just for that split second it, it's it's kind of uh it kind of lets the audience know that you're you're this is a different dracula and, and you're gonna see some stuff here that's that's not not like what you've seen before
0: yeah yeah it's a like i said I was, it's a challenge almost it's like we're here we're doing this I'm Dracula. Deal with it. We're moving on, you know, and and yeah. I think it's very effective uh, and it, it immediately it just shifts you out of any preconceptions you're going to have and settles you into here's here's the new reality and uh, we're going to take it as it is. And and I think it's a whoever made the choice. If it was a Cheney choice. If it was sealed uh, Mac, uh, the director, it, it's a great choice. It's wonderful. It's yeah, chilling. too. It's, it's weird. It's-
1: it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's like arrogance. It's defiant. It's um it's a to, literally to your point, never really seen before breaking that that fourth wall mm-hmm. here. And it certainly happens like that. And when you know during the scene we get our first um vampire to bat transformation. So Cheney, yeah. you know, is looks at the plantation. so we've got a you know pretty good shot of his back. and he takes a couple of steps back to block out, kind of blacken the screen Even though within a millisecond, we've got a bat yeah. transformation
2: first and ever for first yeah. you're yeah, right sure it, it. yeah for well it's first ever i mean in, in a vampire movie period yeah, uh, yeah that's true the closest was in mark of the vampire where you saw luna as kind of this like hybrid bat uh vampire person but uh, this is this is the first time you actually see a, a vampire go from human form to bat form in period this is the, the first another first for this movie
1: <laughs> nice yeah great point and Mark of the vampire, I can't. I mean, you mentioned Lunar. I just get excited. I cannot wait to do that <laughs> one, But not to go, not to go off the rails. But um, yeah, so B- bat transformation, and he's heading. Um, I'll say vampire a bat, heading to the second floor, heading to Colonel Caldwell's room. So um, kind of a quick scene that um Caldwell's by himself and you know, lights a cigar and dismisses the manservant and um alucard kind of flies down the hallway a really cool scene of the bat transforms back into um i don't say a human form but you know vampire physical form of, of alucard goes in and you know off screen ends up um killing colonel caldwell and um shortly thereafter one of his manservants does discover the body of the colonel comes downstairs and alerts um kane claire and, and frank that and brewster too who <laughs> to your point Livio, he's just always around he's he's there he's like i don't yeah. know like, he's like chloe kardashian he's just like every place in, in hollywood Just he's always showing up someplace
2: yeah and you know the i think this this whole s- sequence is a perfect for i think lon cheney's version of dracula because nothing here is like what you would see with lugosi or even the ones that came after him, with you know John Carradine, uh, and, and even the ones after that, because he, he's 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 this this whole ball is in his honor right and he's on he's there but he's just on the outside looking in he he has zero interest in in the whole social scene he's not like legosi he wants to just walk down the streets of london and and go to an opera house and you know make conversation he 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 could not care less to to do any of that he wants he wants what he wants and and he will take it with force whenever he wants to it's it's a total different Uh, take on just the the whole dracula just the vampire very very i guess i should say more more scary more more frightening he's not alluring in any way he's frightening yeah and you had mentioned i'm going back some episodes in the house of dracula but uh, jim you brought great great points about how lon chaney would as talbot you know he you know under the curse of the werewolf he's he's frequently kind of slumped over you know he, he's looked mm-hmm. down his shoulders are drooped he's kind of hunched over right he's the he's the total opposite here and you you get a real sense for how big he was in this movie mm-hmm. because he is perfectly standing straight you know throughout this whole movie and, and he looks down on these people as if they're just little ants that he could very easily crush and it's physicality aspect that he he brings is completely different than what you would see in most cheney roles from the wolfman to the inner Psychonoms where he's kind of this downtrodden guy Absolutely. you know hard on his luck kind of you know kicking the rocks down the road and yeah. going through I mean, bad it's times
0: a, it's against type. i mean the, the best thing you can say about this role for him is he he's cast against type Yes. um and 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 again, we're talking about making the most of it. I do agree with this. And Livia, I think you posted something a while back on on social media, or I, I maybe it was in the discussions. I can't remember. But there is this idea of like Cheney Junior. As as Alleycart is is a physically intimidating character, irregard, regardless of whether or not he's the Living Dead or not, he's he would be a force to be reckoned with if it was a mortal man at, at his yeah. size and with the. The intentions and and the cold calculating you know thing he, he's he got and stuff um and he plays it that way and it's, it's an interesting idea if you think about if if you want to make the connection of dracula as as a, a as a creature who as a man was a soldier and commanded armies and and was a, a vicious and merciless uh general it's an interesting coalition of, of 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 ideas uh into this this very intimidating man yeah i mean he's like the you know the the Juggernaut
1: Dracula, I mean, you look, yeah. think of, I mean, Lugosi was a, you know, a tall man and not, I mean, not, not very slight, but then you look at like a John Carradine type who is very, um, very, very thin. And, you know, we mentioned it in oh, right. Dracula, just like those thin, bony little fingers. And that's <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's carries, it was a six, you know, six foot two and, you know, God, got 220, 225, just a big imposing and on top of just being a huge man, he's a vampire. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, he's a mortal. So, yeah, I mean, carries a lot of weight. And I think the only thing, I mean, everything you guys have said is absolutely true. But I think one of the issues I have with this film is I don't even know if it, it's definitely my, I guess my issue. But one of the charms I really like of Cheney is his ability to play the sympathetic role, and obviously he's not sympathetic whatsoever. So I think a lot of Cheney's charm and to no fault, no fault of his own. I mean, this is the role that he was given and he there's really no no room for him to be that sympathetic type. But again, going back to like Laurie Talbert and even, you know, Man-Made Monsters, you know, Dynamo Dan, always really liked, I think that's my favorite piece of Cheney's work. And, you know, Mice and Men is, you know, going back to him, is playing mm-hmm. that sympathetic, you know, just that role. And I think that's- right.
0: the, the every guy. And, and if, if there's one thing Dracula is not, it's the every guy. Yeah. Far from, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so the colonel's dead. The um, uh, <laughs> first thing he does is kill this old guy who, I'm not sure where he gets the name, the colonel, if he if he was, if it, obviously, I know it's like a, a Southern trope of 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 sorts. I don't know if it's based on any kind of real historical whatever, or if it's just something that, you know. Um, but I had a he, chicken was, restaurant, you know, you never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was he a Confederate general or a colonel back in the day? Because, I, I mean, that would make him really, really old, I guess, if, even in 1940s, he would have been like, Okay, maybe like hundred. So obviously not. Maybe Spanish American War. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, this the scene. I mean, I know Frank Stanley is ends up being a very sympathetic character, but man, he has a rough start because it, your your future father in law is is just mysteriously died and yeah, in, in a very gruesome way and. The thing he says was, he looks like he's literally been frightened to death right in front of his two daughters, and, and yeah, <laughs> even Doctor Brewster just kind of like gives a quick look, like, "Good God, like,
0: okay, <laughs> uh, let's get you out of here, man." That thing that came out of your mouth before you realized it, yeah, yeah It right. came off worse than it sounded my head um yeah, frank had yeah. no
1: frank had no game and you can see why Kay was uh,
0: a little out. <laughs> but but, but livio to, to what you're saying this it, it's true this is you know uh lugosi we never see lugosi kill uh, anyone except a, a, a woman it's it's almost specifically mm. I, i'm with with his fangs and stuff he does he kills renfield with his bare hands but you know he's that is dracula the the romancer this the, the seducer Uh, the more mephistophelian kind of thing the first thing this dracula does is murder a senior citizen (laughs) who's handicapped yeah (laughs) it's the first thing he does this is a cold calculating you're right you know whatever um because again he's got i mean dracula in 1931 film has an agenda but, but this guy has an agenda too uh it's it's just a different one and and you know we'll go up again more into that but yeah uh so yeah the colonel's dead and then, uh, but before, before and, we go on Frank from there, Jim, I just want this yeah. just kind of reminds me of
1: you know exactly who, who's the monster of this film. So, all of this was this whole plan was concocted by Kay and Alucard. So, think about it. Kay, the plan in Kay's mind was to have him, was to have Alucard kill her father. Think
0: about that. That's true. That has to be that. I yeah. mean, obviously, because if the Colonel doesn't die, then not, she doesn't get the inheritance. Nothing that's else right. works out. So that that's really true. That's pretty I dark. Mean, or at least she has to allow for the fact that that is probably a strong possibility of something is going to happen. So that's, I never thought about it too. What a, what a evil. <laughs> right. I just thought
1: of it. I didn't think about it until he was talking about like, you know, just the motives and this whole thing. I was like, Holy yeah. shit. Kay absolutely is part of her plan to get um, Doc Oaks her father had to die for her to be willed that property. Yeah.
2: I mean, this was wasn't, anyway, but yeah, And this wasn't a, <laughs> a, a quickly made plan because uh, as you'll see in the next scene, when they do the will reading, you know, she, mm-hmm. she pulls out this, you know, this will of a later date, which uh, leaves her just the house, which is part of her plan. So, I mean, th- this was designed well in advance long enough to say, Hey dad, please just leave me the house and give my sister everything else. And then once that happened, you know, she somehow communicated with Alucard or a plan like, OK, you can come do what you need to do now. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, this is a very, very, very coldly and calculated plan. I mean, maybe if we like Kay as much and we
1: you know, don't want to believe she's like this cold-blooded killer, you know, the Colonel may have been sick. He might have been. Um, it's you know, critical. Whatever
0: he has could have been developing.
1: He had weeks left. I mean, we we just don't know. But. So part of Kay's plan, if we, you know, if we believe what she says was to, you
2: know, obviously her father had to die and we kind of skipped over Alucard's eventual introduction (laughs) to, to a human, um, which, which again is is very anti, I guess, anti Dracula or, or what we're used to seeing for Dracula. Um, and I, I obviously Cheney is not the one writing this obviously, you know, but he, i think to his credit he he plays to his strengths as an actor and as a person and he he never once in this movie tries to be european he never tries to be suave he is what he is which is a very big intimidating man who could kick your ass if he wanted to and 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 that's what he comes across here you know when every everyone is gone and and you know the 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 Butler answers the door of the knock and it's just Cheney looking very menacing. And, and, you know, he, he very, very slowly says, you know, announce Ken Alucard and the Butler explains, Oh, I haven't, you know, we Colonel Caldwell died tonight or, you know, the family isn't receiving and like Cheney just cuts him off and just is like announce me, you know yeah. I mean? He's oh, like, oh, I don't yeah, want to yeah. hear this shit. Just, <laughs> just yeah. get it in. He's like, okay, yes, sir. And, and yep. but then, yeah, the, the will is read by uh, Samuel S. Hines from, movies right. past of of the raven and raven and um yeah you know other movies man-made monster as well and uh it seems like the original plan was that the estate was going to be split evenly between claire and kay and then that's when kay gets up and asks about the date of the will and says well then there's a will of a later date and she she pulls this out and of course that's when again more of that kind of small town affluent southern family drama you know everyone's ears perk up like oh my gosh what you know what what is this um and, and then it's seen that the plantation is left to k mm-hmm. and everything else all cash securities is is left to uh to Claire, to her sister and um you know it, it, everyone's very surprised about this except for k who obviously knew what happened and is very happy
0: yeah and it it, it, it- alerts the uh the senses of dr brewster who who's like this this seems like an odd thing to to have happened uh i think he's wary that k has somehow knows of a of a of a Will change that no one else is aware of. You know, uh, I mean, he is the guy who's he is a little bit step ahead of everybody else, and he's going like something's fishy here. You know, trying to trying to figure out what what the deal is. But but it's it's a great plot point because we're like, well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want money? Why do you just need? Why? What's so important about the thing? Is there a secret about the property about dark oaks or something? You know, right. which is well, beautifully named by the way. Not it's not a flowery name. It's not it doesn't draw too much attention. But dark oaks just says everything you need to know about the place. So it's an so- interesting plot point that moves that moves everything forward. From here.
1: Yeah, for whatever reason, I think Claire had meant or I think um Kay had mentioned that if the estate was split between her and Claire, that they would have to sell Doc Oaks. I don't know why that was such a definite sure. thing, but again, plot point to move the story forward in order to keep um Doc Oaks, at least in the family with Kay, this this had to happen. So oh, and okay. meanwhile, there's a really quick scene right before the will reading of Brewster. Going back to um, again, thinking <laughs> right from that opening scene, the train station, Alicard spelled backwards as Dracula. Uh, so calls his Hungarian friend, Dr. I'm sorry, Professor Laszlo, who is, you know, I guess kind of like a Van Helsing type, too, just the, um, you know, the Hungarian native that, you know, has a good understanding of of the Dracula family and whatnot. So runs across the name Alicard through Laszlo. And uh, I guess he did a double check or. Um, whatever, with the locals, and there was no one named Alucard from from Budapest or from Hungary, but there's a Dracula, of course, and then Laszlo goes into, you know, a little bit of a spiel about the backstory of Dracula and etc. So I think, you know, as we start moving, moving through the story here, that's just one more little red flag in the mind of Brewster. And now we're at the world reading And Kay's acting very strangely and everything. So, yeah, Bruce is very, very slowly starting to put these these pieces
2: together. Yeah, for sure. And he even, you know, in in true, you know, snooper fashion, you know, after the (laughs) will is read, he gets clear to go with them to really, I mean break and enter into yeah, where, yeah. where at the guest house where Alucard is, is supposed to have been staying and, and he even takes a crowbar, and like prize open his, his luggage. And he even says it, you know, it's like, well, it may not be ethical, but you know, I'm going to do it anyways. And, and, <laughs> All right, and Dr. Brewster, I know. Her. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course they find like no clothes, no, no luggage. I mean, just, just yeah, it's empty trucks. Right? Yeah, it's, troughs, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, he, he's, he's definitely to something. I, and, as, as much as I don't like that he he he's such a a, a snooper and a gossiper, mm-hmm. he he ends up being
0: correct in all of his <laughs> all of his intuitions. Yeah, my mom would have called him Nebby. <laughs> that's the word she would have used. He's Nebby. Uh, and he is. It's true. But it does obviously it does move our plot forward and stuff. So we're, we're left with a bit of a mystery. I mean, this is the idea of like we you can't, I mean, in defense of the way that the plot evolves here and us learning who you know Dracula is and everything. Um, that's no mystery. As as you said, Livio, I mean it's the name of the damn movie, right? So so to to create any kind of suspense or mystery, what what you got what Kurt Siodmack and, and and the and the writers who came later than him uh, Kurt, who'd, who'd written uh, uh, the Wolfman, obviously, Dracula has to have a plan and you have to not understand what the plan is. Uh, obviously, Dracula has a plan. There's, you know, He, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, it's like pun for action where a like, don't take a dump without a plan, son. You know, it's, it's, it's that Dracula's is going to have a plan uh, and we just have to, you know, stick around long enough to find out what is his plan? What's his goal? You know, we know who he is. We know what he is. We just have to figure out why he's doing this. And, you know, you mentioned earlier with Brewster, he, you know, obviously he's, you know, kind of a a little bit of a pest
1: breaks, (laughs) breaks and enters into Doc Oaks really doesn't have me finds a couple of, you know, a couple of suspicious things, but nothing, you know, no like, you know, smoking gun that would lead him to believe that Alec had anything but possibly an imposter. Yeah. But Ron's right to Claire, you know, Kay's sister and says, I think we should issue an insanity order against Kay. And it's like, this guy, I mean, supposedly, you know, family, friend, you know, uncle of these girls kind of like they're, you know, the caregiver now that their father's dead, what, what the hell dude? Like he's, he's not, it didn't seem like he, it took him a whole lot to be like, yeah, we should just, we should go commit your sister. Like,
0: mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's pretty quick to that. I, I that is, that is, is absolutely true.
2: I think that goes back to the whole, you know, Kay is, is obviously an outcast in that society. You know, she, she is, I mean, even at the will reading, you know, the, you send the, you know, the judge, I can't remember the judge's name, but Samuel S. Hines and, mm-hmm. and Dr. Brewster, and even at times her own fiance, just kind of look, look at her as if she's differently, you know, it's like, eh, okay. You know, that she's, she's the, she's that one person in the family that, you know, they just don't talk to, you know, she's tolerated because she's the Colonel's daughter, but, yeah. but everyone probably talks about her behind her back. And yeah, I, the I think, ball. yeah. The weird yeah. One. And and I think this was just the the straw that broke the camel's back, at least in Dr. Brewster's eyes, says, okay, well, the colonel is gone. She's has no clue what she's doing. There there's something going on with her in Alucard. So she's obviously insane. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah. there's it's, no other explanation.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's not that odd for a rural area in the thirties to just take someone, and especially a woman who does not you know, follow the norms of of Mm -hmm. what they think women should act like and say, like, maybe we should put her in asylum. You know, Uh, it's not, sadly, it would not have been an uncommon idea for some people to to have that idea. On a lighter note, don't you think, shouldn't they have just made Samuel Hines' Hines's judge character, Judge Thatcher, and just you know, from from, from, from the he just he just relocated, or you know, he's he's semi-retired now, or something. He could have easily been the same character.
1: That'd be great. I think it's Judge Simmons, right? Or am I thinking of?
0: I think it's Judge Simmons. yeah, yeah, yes. you're right. yeah, yeah. He'll always it's be Judge. That would have
1: been fantastic. Oh my gosh,
0: <laughs> just makes a cameo. Like, wait yeah. a second, it's like share. It's a shared universe.
1: Totally. So yeah, we've got the scene. So yeah, breaking entering, and um, you know, luckily Claire is you know being staying true to her. You know, slightly. Slightly mystical sister, and says, "I'm not not doing that against my sister, so go away, yeah. Brewster." Anyway, so Kay um hops in a car, kind of in, in another quick scene, drives to the swamp because she knows through telepathy or you know, without you know, without voice communication, where Alucard is, and you know to come in and to go mm-hmm. meet him. So there's a really really great scene where it drives out to the to the swamp. And then um, we see Frank actually. Before I forget, so Frank is kind of you know being clued on and something's up with his his fiancee here. She's being very distant and whatever. So Kay's driving out to the swamp, and we see a great great scene of this coffin slowly rising up from a swamp. Yeah, and emerges. Oh yeah. And then you know rather than the the top popping open and you know and Dracula Alucard pops are you know just jumps out of it we see this mist and i think from here on in i can't swear he turns into a bat again it's always the mist so this mist comes up you know slowly through the top of the coffin and then he forms into of course alucard and then kind of slowly it's a great panning shot like the camera in, you know, behind um cheney and then slowly kind of floats across the swamp towards k yeah, it, it, it a, tracks
2: with him
0: yeah no yeah. it's, it's yeah. a great. great shot it is
2: it it, it is amazing it, and again it, there's so many instances of this in this movie that there's just no other scene like it in, in, right. in universals. I mean, you would always, and even the movies after this Dracula's coffin is, is always in the basement of a castle somewhere, you know, it's always in this kind of dark Gothic broken down, you know, area. And, and here it is rising out of water. And, and you know, right. the first, again, the first, it was, we said earlier, the first time that you saw vampire human form, or person form go mm-hmm. from, you know, that to a bad, this is also the first time you see Dracula or a vampire going around in, in some sort of mist form as well. And, and it's, it's really well done for the time, especially for the budget. You know, this was not not an a picture, you know, this doesn't have a right. huge, huge budget to it. And, and it's a seamless, seamless transition from seeing the fog go up and kind of take that shape of his body. And then just the, the way he appears there, it's, it's fantastic.
1: That's so well done. It brought me back to, like, say, you know, a few years, a couple years later from this House of Dracula, how easy it is for them to find Dracula's coffin. I mean, literally, it's sitting in the basement, right? It's not, like, behind locked doors. It's yeah. right. literally right in the middle of the basement. And you see, like, how cool this alucard, how he's hidden this coffin. And you have to imagine it's, you know, like, bolted shut. You know, like, the, the top of the coffin isn't just, like, swinging open for him to step out. It's probably, I'm assuming, just, like, a bolted, you know, box. That and the only reason for him to, or the only way for him to come in and out, is to take this this vapor form. So it just such a great, great thing. And so well, another Ken, thing that,
0: it also gets us past this problem area that I always talk about. About that, I I feel like Universal is constantly trying to figure this problem out. About there's just no graceful way to wear a tuxedo and a cape and gracefully get out of a, of a horizontal <laughs> yes. coffin and, and look like, you know, you're the undead and you're preternaturally strong and graceful and stuff like that. That just sort of just doesn't work. It's true. So yeah. they're always, you know, in a crew, in a cruder era, they're just panning away and then coming back. And there he is. Now they've started, you know, developing some techniques to to to, yeah. to get around that, that moment of awkwardness. and And this is a great one.
1: You see like Albert and Costello meet Frankenstein, like mm-hmm. Legosi kind of, you know, the it, one time. Yeah. 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 He kind of, st- and it does, it's a little awkward. So
0: it's probably, I think they're, I think they made a good decision here. 60 year old Legosi getting out of <laughs> it. But yeah, I mean, if anyone can do it, he did it. Oh man. Um,
1: so this is another really cool thing. Uh, not, I don't say cool thing, but an interesting trope of this movie is, so we finally, you know, Alucard finally pans across the swamp meets k and again takes her hand and kisses her so it's again it's this romantic love you know k isn't food to him k's not yeah. you know a conquest k like he has it seems like he has genuine feelings for Kay. I don't
0: so, know. i mean he's he's a means to an end for him that's for sure yeah maybe maybe as far as his capacity to to care about somebody exists maybe maybe yeah maybe i would agree but what's with that.
1: No, but I mean, just let's, let's go, let's build on that, Jim. So what's, I mean, the means to the end, I see for Kay, right? With Dragon, like what is, what's right. his motivation for being? Okay.
0: Well, him? well, I have a, a in, within the film, he, he talks about how uh, there's fresh blood here in America. Right. Uh, it, all the blood, you know, back home is corrupted and old and stuff. I have a, I have an, I have a new theory that it, that exists external to any evidence that this, you know, the, 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 the script of this film would provide and it's just my own personal thing, and anyone can think it's stupid or or, or inaccurate or, or falls apart on its on its feet or not. But this is 1943. The Hungarian government has has is is proto-fascist at this point. Um, it has taken uh, Germany's side and and gone to war with with Russia. And within by the end of this year and the beginning of the next year, Germany will have taken over Hungary. I think Dracula is a war refugee. I think he's fled his homeland and, and out mm. of out of necessity. And he he's now reduced to being he's basically a grifter in this movie. He's here just trying to figure out how to he's got to have a place where he's safe to lay his head in his coffin with his special dirt and all his you know everything, and then to start building again and start you know finding fresh victims and stuff. I think maybe where he's from, there's no more people to bite because everyone's gone to war. That's my theory.
2: So that's that's really interesting. I I, I hadn't thought of that before. That's yeah. That makes sense. My my theory was, uh, and, and this has been kind of uh, explored in in more recent years, but kind of going to just the fact that he's the son of Dracula. I, I mm-hmm. mean, so we think back to Lugosi and you know that classic line of his of "to to be truly dead must be glorious." I mean, he's been around for a while, right? He knows right. he knows what's going on. I'm not convinced that Alucard has been a vampire for 500 years, and I think he's because he's much more animalistic. He he doesn't Perfect. want to, he doesn't want to be the suave. He doesn't want to fit in. And, you know, in a lot of I guess vampire fiction, you know, in the last 20, 30 years will kind of talks about, you know, a newly created vampire is much like a, a, a toddler, you know, that they they don't they can't control themselves, they can't control mm-hmm. their emotions, their their cravings, their yearnings. So I, I, I often wonder if Alucard is a vampire who's who's kind of coming into age where he's because you, you see it in his eyes as he's gliding across the swamp and he looks at Kay, he has this very evil look, but he's also got a little bit of a smile on his face because he, yeah. he's, he feels, I think he feels comfortable with her. That's why he, he actually talks to her. You know, he communicates with her. He doesn't try to, except for one scene, he doesn't try to intimidate her. So I, I wonder if, if this is his way of trying to more or less uh, settle down into more of a, of a role that, that, that's mm-hmm. more like a a legosi type, which is try to be somewhat integrated with society as opposed to just this physical yeah. rage. Yeah, well, I mean, this this Dracula feels sense.
1: he feels desperate. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean that kind of it kind of lends, you know, to to your your point, Jim, like as being this refugee, like he feels very desperate and like he doesn't have all this time to just like slow burn, like you know Lugosi's Dracula did. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he I mean, he gets like you know very he's almost easily frustrated. Even you know the scene Livio, Livia you you mentioned where he's you know announce me, no suaveness at all. No, yeah, he's like it's like the time is like a ticking time bomb, right?
0: Yeah, um, and and maybe part of that is the script and story, and maybe part of that is is the 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 desperation that Cheney always manages to bring to his characters. There's there's always there they always feel like there's a ticking clock uh of, of with 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 Chaney where something has to happen or and, you know and and everything depends on it and and it's always not going quite right for him uh very often in in across genres and characters that he played yeah true um, yeah true. Yep. yeah that's no, great but but you know it, Dracula you know as as a vampire he's, he he's a very vulnerable Vampires are a very vulnerable character, as powerful and, and, and dangerous as they are. They're very vulnerable. There's obviously a lot of things that, that can go, you know, that can hurt them. And this is, as far as I can tell, universe, at least Universal's, I know Mark of the Vampire touches on this, but this is Universal's sort of first postmodern Dracula film where people hear the name Dracula and they're like, holy crap, Dracula, that's not good. They associate the name with something bad within, you know, obviously in in Dracula 31, and even to some degree in in Dracula's Daughter, no one associates that name with with a negative connotation because they don't know yet. He's still a mystery. By by 1943, everyone's like, no, 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 Dracula, that's not someone you want to, you know, walk your kids to school, right? But you know, the Drac- the, the vampire is a parasite. The vampire lives off of the blood of another of other animals. And in this, you know, Dr- Dracula is so humbled, he's desperate that he's really become a parasite. He's a leech. He's he's gonna leech off this woman and her estate to get what he needs. He's he's needy like that. And it, it it I can see how some people think that makes him seem kind of pathetic, but I like how dangerous it makes him.
1: Well, there's a scene where Bruce is doing research when he, I think he determines that Alucard is a, a phony name and he's reading throughout I don't know, it's an encyclopedia or whatever. And look,
2: literally the name of the chapter is Dracula. And yeah. I'm, I'm not admittedly, I'm not familiar with Stoker's original novel that much, but isn't that, I mean, isn't the passage in that book, isn't that from Stoker's book? Cause I mean, it starts mm-hmm. out, it says, what manner of a man is this count Dracula and yeah. And is it? The
0: paraphrase is a little bit uh, uh one of the chapters uh, of, of Harker's journal when he's trapped it in Castle Dracula.
2: Yeah. Very it, I think it's almost another instance of breaking the fourth wall cuz you're <laughs> Yeah, so, absolutely. So they
0: leave the uh they leave the the swamp and they go directly to the justice of the peace and they want to be married and Dracula does use his sort of uh mamby jamby on the guy a little bit. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I can't marry you right now. He's like, you will marry us. I said, oh, I guess I'll marry you. you. know, he does the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing a little bit <laughs> on him. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for, Mr. Yes. Kirby.
1: Oh, yes, they are. Yeah. So, I mean, Kirby immediately knows who Kay is. Oh, you're Colonel Caldwell's daughter. So sorry about, you know, your father. And, you know, meanwhile, he keeps, you know, he kind of peers over and he's always looks at a and He's like, oh, crap. And then Kay will talk to him and he'll look and, you know, very respectful okay like, hey, oh geez i'm very sorry yes of course dear. and then the head just turns and he's like looking at looking at cheney it's
2: the yeah. funniest thing yeah, who no. looks so tall i i mean yeah. i mean in this scene again he's he's standing straight up and he just towers over everybody and and you know for with the exception of the end of the movie when he when he really loses his crap he he's of so much more of a reserved performance he does so little with mm-hmm. with his movements and with his voice but he's he's very effective in how he gets it across you know in this scene in particular you know kirby kind of looks up and, and kind of questions what she wants and all he does is just kind of lean in a little bit and he's like okay okay come on in we'll get you married <laughs> yeah. you know no problem <laughs> he's he's really really effective in it it's it's a i've said this before in various you know social media platforms but it's it's almost a precursor to how Christopher lee would would inherit the role in that's the hammer. Yeah. Because you height also. Yeah, Christopher Lee is much more of a physically dominant, you know, yeah. like I will throw you across the room literally. Oh, yeah. And and this, that's what you get from, from Cheney here. It's, I think it's a, it's just a very early precursor to that, that type of Dracula, that type of vampire.
0: You know, I, I think that Olivia, I've never really thought of it that way. I've known, do we, do we get Christopher Lee Dracula without, and your junior jacket. thats an interesting thing. I mean, there's there's an interesting idea of this. Again, you talked about like the slightly more animalistic thing, and that's something that Lee played right. up quite a bit. And well, yeah, and this physical, it, powerful thing—you know—yeah, um, it's,
2: it's it's I I think it's a very fair point, and because Lugosi is his shadow is forever over all yes, vampires. I mean, even in 2021, yes. and if you think of the movies of this time in 1943, so the same year that. Um, Return of the Vampire came out also with Lugosi for Columbia Pictures, and it's very much Dracula, you know Lugosi is is Dracula. It just the 1943 version, and, and you know he's he's the very suave trying to fit into society. Right. Same thing a year later in 1944 with House of Frankenstein, and then the House of Dracula with John Carradine. He's he's Baron Latos that that tries to he's drinking yeah. wine and you know sharing stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't think of at least from the time from in the 40s, I can't think of any other vampire film that shows the vampire just as this physical dominant you know domineering force so and it may have happened in between son of dracula and 1958 for for horror of dracula but i think christopher leaves that that next person outside of cheney to to kind of explore this this side of dracula
0: and i will say that i mean i i want to specify that that Bellagosi is my favorite Dracula and, and will always be and stuff. And, oh, yeah. and what I'm talking about here is judging the film on its own merits, not in the overall cosmology of, of Dracula performers and stuff. But I, I having said that, I, I think Cheney, you know, deserves a place within, within that cosmology. He, he he's, he's young enough to have that power. Maybe, maybe the, the tragedy of that he only got to play Dracula when he was getting towards his, his later years, by the time he, he, he got to play in, in film rather, he was already an aging man with physical problems and, and other problems. And the idea of playing an immortal forever young creature of the night, when you yourself are aging, maybe not as, as well as you could, uh, is, is problematic for sure. Yeah, for sure.
1: So Alucard and Kay have been married by Mr. Kirby and, um, Frank, who is, um, of course feels like he's losing his childhood love. And Kay is kind of watching from a distance, and um follows them back to dark oaks. So Kay and Alicard return to Dark Oaks as a newly married couple. And Kay um I guess becomes a little bit more curious about um Dracula. I guess kind of pushing him more to learn about kind of his, his vampire world. I guess you know, her plans coming more to, to fruition. And you know Alicard I think for the first time mentions, you know, his you know why Kay has been um, valuable to him is as we mentioned earlier on that you know America you know he loves America it's a young, young vibrant race it's a young vibrant land and um you know flesh victims flesh blood and you know he kind of puts Kay on the a little bit of the back burner like she's very curious to hear a little bit more about um you know his race of people and he's not you know overly willing to kind of share that kind of a a fun dynamic of the of the
2: newly married couple he also yeah speaking of newly married i mean that he carries her over the threshold you know as as they enter their their new home i mean he, he's it's very it's it's almost out of place in this movie with with the plot but he's you know he's carrying her as if they're a, yeah because they are a newly married couple right and it, it, very unlike uh alucard in the rest of the film he, he's he's much more human here than he ever is throughout the rest of the movie
1: now, what is that? Like a, is that an American thing to carry like the newlywed like through that through the doorway? Or I, I don't know much about that, but yeah, it seems very, you know, kind of like the old fashioned, you know, the old fashioned lovers. You know, picks up yeah. his, his blushing bride and yeah. takes her over the uh, into the honeymoon suite almost.
0: Well, I like it's a play on the typical ending, or, or you know, of, of of so many of these monster movies where the monster, the mummy, or the creature from Black Lagoon, or Dracula, or whomever Frankenstein monsters is holding the, you know, carrying the unconscious damsel uh and ca- taking them away back to their lair back to the swamp back to wherever yeah. um so i think it's a funny sh- you know you know play on that trope that that visual you know thing that we're so used to seeing of him carrying her but in this case it's the opposite he's carrying her over the threshold of their newlywed mansion and stuff i think it's a fun moment it, he probably they may have been better off if they would have went to gumbush or uh you know
2: yeah right christian
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, and then so Frank has followed him here and he kind of confronts Kay, right?
1: Yeah. So yes. Frank, you know, is a knock on the door and Frank comes in and, you know, sees Kay and basically, you know, I, I don't know if we've completely gone into this, but so Frank and Kay have been childhood sweetheart, you know, I don't say lovers, but, you know, they've been infatuated with each other since they were children. And they I'm assuming they're probably mid-20s at this point. So for 20-plus years, they've been involved in each other's lives. There's been a lot of flirtation. So, you know, and they were always kind of destined to, you know, to be married, as Lirio had mentioned earlier. It's a small town. Everyone knows each other. And, you know, it was always Frank and Kay, and they were going to grow up and, be, and become married. So, of course, Frank now knows that, or she, he learns very shortly now that, you know, Kay and Alucard have been married. And then Alucard kind of, you know, busts through through the door and swings it open. And they kind of have this, yeah. this showdown, at like the OK Corral, that Frank is now fighting for his girl. Yeah. And basically says, you know, hey, just, you know, come with me. you know, Come, come to town. I'm going to put you on the next train and get the hell out of here. And Kay's going to have, gonna have this
0: annulled. We're going to. Right, right, thing. Right.
1: Yeah. And Alucard's <laughs> like, yeah, geez, I don't really understand what you're, you're asking for me, buddy. And uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool. You know, right to the last minute, you know, Frank is still fighting for. His woman yep. and that's you know, yeah. gonna that was nice. It's very very undavid manner-esque. Like he's yeah. actually fighting for his girl. <clears throat>
2: I used to call Robert Page the Gomer pile of of Universal <laughs> Horrors. Because we'll he does look a little bit like him. He resembles totally. it, but that's a little unfair. He he is a very good actor in this. I do want to point out because I I've and I'll post this on, on our page too. And Jim, if you're watching this movie now, you can do this. But anyone watching the movie, if you go to a timestamp, 27 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, it, it, it's right after Frank knocks on the door and, and Alicard is about to, you know, lean in to, to bite Kay. Uh-huh. He, he kind of turns to the camera and, and the way that they do the lighting of Cheney, he, he is identical to his father.
0: Oh, uh, interesting. I'm looking his, at it right now. Yeah.
2: His, his forehead shape and kind of the hair and all that. I mean, I don't think that I've ever seen him look more like his dad. Than in that in that shot, so I, I wanted to wanted to point that out because that's, that's very
0: interesting. It, it was
2: it was a pretty cool thing for me to to kind of stumble upon you, that.
0: You never really, I, I mean, I look at pictures of Cheney Senior and pictures of Cheney Junior, and there's never a, a comparison. Cheney Senior was such a lanky kind of yeah. wiry guy, and, and yeah. Junior was quite the opposite. But obviously, you know him being the son of that, yeah, you know, you kind of I, I think I paused just about that time, and you do kind of get it, and that's just this is Cheney like. You Know is Cheney Cheney's 45, I think, in this movie, so, somewhere no, there. He,
2: he's so he's born in 1906, he's 30. Oh, 30, yeah, 36, 37.
0: 36. Oh, geez, okay, wow, he's he's
2: they looked older
0: back then. <laughs> well, well, they, yeah, and they've got him made it, yeah, exactly. And then obviously, the, the alcohol, uh, the hard alcohol doesn't always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. with the, the skin and everything we've talked about this everyone looked older back then and smoking and everything obviously too um yeah i know it's a but it's a it's a great moment when he opens that double door and, and he's standing there in all his you know intimidating kind of you know thing with the cape and everything
2: yeah and, and another thing he does and i noticed this last night I, i've seen this movie probably 30 40 times and and i just kind of caught on to this when i watched it last night Anytime that you see Alucard and he talks to somebody, hmm. he always grabs his ring. So he wears his ring hmm. on his his pointer finger. And I think it's of his left, hand, excuse me, of his left hand. Yeah. And as he's even as Frank confronts him, I mean, the first thing he does is he kind of puts his hands up to his to his waist and he He grabs the ring. And he he does that when he talks to Brewster. He and even when you know he's he's talking to Kay later on. In almost every scene, you see Cheney. He, as he talks, he he grabs that ring, and I don't know if that's something that that Cheney himself did, or yeah, because uh, I don't think there's mentions of it in, in the script. So uh, whether that was something he did or something that. You know, uh, Robert Sheldrick decided it would be a, a nice thing, but it's a it's an interesting. I I just, I just found that as is very interesting
0: when I saw that last night. Yeah, it's an interesting affectation that he he decides to bring to this and stuff. Yeah,
1: it's probably code for somebody in the back. Like you know, I need a new another glass of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you see when you see Lon
0: grab the ring, it's time to you know he's looking yeah. for another shot. I need I need some time in yeah. my trailer. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. There's guys oh, in the uh, back, like hurriedly grabbing the, you a know, drink. He's grabbing the ring. He's grabbing the ring. Yeah. Is this? Are we to the point where he's injecting the grapefruit with the vodka yet, or oh that's that's more yeah, towards yeah, towards, no, uh, Costello, right? Yeah. Too funny. So, yeah,
1: we have the great showdown between um you know Frank and Alucard, and you know at one point Frank uh you know is basically like we're we'll leaving town, and Alucard mm-hmm. has had enough of this you know this this foolishness and grabs frank by the throat and just chucks him through double doors i mean like a you know you throw in just a a rag doll right and frank hits the ground and immediately Mm -hmm. reaches into his coat and pulls out a revolver and as he pulls out the gun Kay, who was standing next to alucard at the time hides behind him so frank starts firing at alucard and of course you know being his vampire cool self Bullets pass through him, hit Kay, and you know ultimately, obviously, Kay hits the ground and dies. And you know Frank, I think you know, maybe fires one or two more times. Alakar just you know standing there looking defiant, yeah. and Frank takes off, knowing that he's just killed the love of his life.
2: Yeah, it, it's such a uh, God. I, I I can't say enough good things about the scene. I, I mean, even the the notion of. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll go back a little bit when this is another i think example of alucard has no patience right because like Hmm. so comparing to legosi's dracula the scene where van helsing shows him the mirror and and he swats it down for a second you see this animal rage on legosi's face and then he he very quickly goes back to the calm collective Mm -hmm. count and he he even bows as he leaves even though he knows he's just been outed here it, it takes about four seconds for Alucard to grab him by the throat and just fling him to the other room, mm-hmm. you know, as if you are nothing yeah. to me, get out of my face. So, you know, it's, it's a good example of that. Uh, I want to almost say unsophisticated yeah. uh, of vampire powers. It's like the animal
0: inside them. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. it's like you're petting your cat and your cat's fine. And then it's like, Nope, it, I'm not fine. And before you know, you've got its claws stuck in your hand. Exactly, right? yeah, It's yeah. that snap thing that's faster than motor neurons. Their, you know thought goes or something um yeah no it's a great thing and yeah so he shoots he shoots at dracula at Alucard. uh hits k k falls and we have this great scene where where frank now stumbles you know manic state through the swamp and we just get the the one of the co-stars of this movie has to be the set dressing of this swamp area that they oh yeah they, oh, it's beautiful all around dark oaks the the, the marshes the, the trees you know we we get this the swamp is and having you know been through some swamps and you know living in the south there's a reason southern gothic really works and and i think in addition to certain parts of the country embracing much older ways of thinking than than other parts of the country that, that makes it feel a little more antiquated and everything you do have this environment where there's the twisted trees and the gnarls and, and, and Spanish moss and stuff that, that, that feel like cobwebs that feel like broken battlements of old, you know, things, (laughs) everything's old and beat up the, the, the wrought iron and everything is a reason places like new Orleans and and stuff have the, the legends and the stories and the ghost stories and everything they do. And it's just because you get the feeling of a place frozen in time that's, that's out of time now. And, and universal just, just decks it out and does such a great job with a lot of, I don't know how big a stage, which stage they use or how big it was that they shot all this on, or if they used multiple stages, even it, it not being a huge budget film. But just some of the stuff he went, they're literally driving on these stages, you know, with with cars mm-hmm. uh, on roads and stuff, and they're just some of it's maybe exterior, some of it's maybe up at the ranch. I'm not sure. But it's man, it's it's great looking stuff.
1: Bro. It is. I mean, the swamp's almost a character in itself, as we yeah. as we mentioned. Just right from that that scene, I always go back to just that coffin rising up from the swamp. Oh, yeah. Just how I, I, yeah. I, just iconic that is. But
0: and, and as I and I said in the black cat episode, like this is we're in Southern California here, and and I'll tell you, there's nothing there's very little here in Southern California that looks like the South universal set all these things in these environments that they had to almost create from scratch. It it was such a task and they, their people were just so good at it. So Frank flees from Doc Oaks, you
1: know, understanding now that killed Kay, and I think he's just, he's so confused that, you know, he shot Alucard four or five times and, God it brings me back to like Halloween. He's like, I sh- I shot him six times and he's still alive. <laughs> Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers. But anyway, so Frank is, you know, running away and collapses in the cemetery. And meanwhile, there's the Alicide bat flying after him. And um, when Frank collapses on not a it's not a stone, but just it looked like it maybe a newly, newly dug or newly covered over grave. And um Alucard bat, you know, flies down to you know, bite him or I'm assuming to kill him. Um, the moonlight shines through and hits a a cross stone, you know, of a you know yeah. of a grave, and you know, of course, with the the shine, uh, the
2: light shining through, uh, Frank very conveniently falls, you know, right in the the shadow of a of a cross. That and then you see some some stock footage of the the full moon that was used in Frankenstein meets the Wolf Man, and and you see the the light hits the cross and creates this silhouette, which. Uh, I get what they're trying to do. I think the actual cross they showed wouldn't have worked <laughs> how it appears in the, in the movie. Yeah, right. Um, but it basically makes Alucard fly away and, and he kind of comes to his, his yeah. normal form. And even as a, a Cheney junior fan, the criticism, I guess, and I don't know if the, this is probably just Lon's natural face, but, and why he was so good as as Lenny and as Larry Talbot, but when he sees the cross, he 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 looks less disgusted and more troubled and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he he doesn't really look. You know, he does. He doesn't seem repelled by it as much. He he seems more like you just showed him a a, a picture of a long lost relative with some you know some dark secret. Yeah, he, yeah. he just well, we were talking about about that.
0: We were talking about about that animal uh, response. That Lugosi and, and other you know actors have and stuff, and he he does. He, I, I mean, maybe it's just a choice. He has less that response and more like the dog just did something on the rug or something. Kind of, a response. yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sure. It's just, oh, but it's like kind of a watch. the um, you know, yeah. I do, I do love him as the bat. He lands on him, and I know it's supposed to be scary, but honestly, he just looks like this adorable little bat crawling up Frank's back. He's like, here I come. You know, actually, actually, I have a note about that. I have a note about that too. I'm like, where's like this big ferocious bat? It's like this cute little like. It's a flying fox, I think. I think it's uh, it's one of those the big uh, things they use him in. Um, they use them in a Doctor Fives as well. They use like live ones in a Doctor Fives, but I think this one might be a, a deceased one that is stuffed and puppeteered a little bit, possibly. It, it there I've seen worse looking vampire bats in in many movies uh, than this. Even though he moves a little stiffly, he 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 looks pretty real. He looks nice, if if a little too cute. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He's looking pretty cute. Yeah, he's kind of crawling up Frank. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, a little bit to the right, kind of shimmies up Frank, and yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, Alakai Bad is is uh, frightened away, and meanwhile, we fast forward to um, Doctor Brewster is researching uh, Dracula. So <laughs> I mentioned a little bit earlier, he's got a book or encyclopedia, literally a. A chapter called dracula and he's trying to figure out you know what exactly they're up against when you know there's a knock on the door and frank frank enters looking completely disheveled and just i mean some I mean, this is like a total goma pile just you yeah. know look in his face like just oh my gosh just i don't want other word to call it just i mean disheveled confused scared, helpless, um, comes in and, you know, Brewster is becomes very, very charming. You know, he takes them and grabs a hold of him. And there's definitely some care and love, you know, for, for a friend and him, you know, being a doctor, you know, to figure out what's wrong with them. And I always love, you know, it's kind of a horror movie or certainly a universal trope of, you know, you give somebody a glass of brandy or a glass of whiskey mm-hmm. to, and that, that calms everything and that fixes everything. So certainly Brewster gives Frank a little whiskey and, Trying to figure out what the hell's
0: going on, Nick's so What Frank needs is to be inebriated.
2: Yes, we mentioned at the the start of the episode about you know how much actual doctoring does Doctor Brewster do. Yeah. So, uh, right now, his doctor expertise you know <laughs> ex- extends to this man is clearly very troubled and hysteric. Let's give him some alcohol.
0: Let's get him drunk.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know that uh, I don't know uh, he. Um, I mean, I guess maybe. The, I mean, I see it a lot in movies of this time, right? Where oh, yeah. where where someone is is highly upset, and they're like, "Take a shot of whiskey; it will make you feel better." And so so maybe that's
0: that's. Well, it's, it's like sh- throw water in their face. Yeah. Give them whiskey <laughs> or slap them. It's it, there's there's the the three step degrees. Like if one doesn't work, just you know keep at it. So 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 yeah. So Frank tells him like like he has killed Kay, Right. He's
1: killed K. He shot through Alucard. How can this possibly be? How can this be the case? And basically, Brewster calms them down and just says, you know, I'm going to go out and, you know, we're going we're, we're to figure out what's going on here, Frank. Just relax. And you know, like very maternal, like tucks Frank in, like lays him out, gets a yeah. blanket, tucks him in. I don't know if he kisses him goodnight, reads him a story, whatever. <laughs> but um, but yeah. Jams. yeah, gets his little jam jams on. And anyway, so fast forward uh, next scene. So now we've got Alucard, who, um, you know, has a, you know, a dead K near him so he's preparing a coffin for her. so at this point he is at some point off off camera has i'm assuming has you know bitten her has turned her into um, a vampire to quote unquote save her life so uh scene of alucard you know preparing this coffin for her and nosy brewster shows up at dark oaks and starts nosing around so um you know goes, goes into the house unannounced you know, so looks in the bedroom. You know, no K, no anybody in this bedroom. It's an empty bed. Goes into the basement, kind of noses around, and then there's just this great scene of you know Alakai, like
2: you know, what the hell are you doing here? So yeah, yeah, take us, take us here, man. So yeah, it's changes back to his menacing, menacing form, and and I think it's also pretty cool to see this part of vampire lore actually. Played out, you know, on screen mm-hmm. because you hear about it. I mean, you know, the vampire needs a coffin with a layer of dirt from his layer of dirt, excuse me, from his uh, from the native soil, and you actually see that, you know, actually happen. He he takes a time with a shovel, You're, you know, Dracula doing manual labor essentially, and 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 yeah. burying burying Kay because he knows that that she's about to be a vampire, and this is what she needs to do. Uh, I, I think it's cool to actually see that, and yeah. I mean, it, this is probably just because I don't like Doctor Brewster as as a character. But uh, you know, I, I feel no. I, I'm kind of siding with Alucard here because this is this is his house now. He, he and K are, are legally married, and Kay owned the house, so now by by proxy, he owns the house. True. And and here comes Doctor Brewster just wandering in an open door and kind of looking around, and saying, "No, nah, nobody sees me. I'm just going to walk mm-hmm. in." And so if I was in Alucard's, you know shoes i'd
0: I'd throw down a shovel too and and yeah. <laughs> wonder what what this guy is doing um, and, and this is a vampire who actually has to ask permission supposedly to enter anyone else's house uh, you know by by if you follow the 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 mythology so the idea that someone walks into his house without a buyer leave you know Mm. I, I, my, my other observation, this, this is why Dracula always needs a Renfield to, to dig, you know, the dirt yeah. and bury the things and stuff. But he needs somebody to do the, the, the heavy lifting because, you know, he's in the tuxedo with a cape and everything like that. And it's just not really manual labor attire. And again, like the argument has always been
1: like how emasculated Alucard is. for And, yeah. and, and again, he's maybe, humbled. Like, yeah. And here he is. Yeah, we're exactly doing manual labor for for Kay, who, you know, quote unquote, could be the
2: real monster. I don't know. It's right. it's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah,
0: but so we so we so we have this great scene where
2: he, he So so and I'll point out again, this is a. There, there's a few of these scenes in this movie where there's no dialogue, and this is a great great showcase for mm. Hans Salter's music. Um, mm-hmm. And this specifically, this music here is was used in the opening sequence of Frankenstein meets the Wolf Man when those the the grave robbers enter in the Talbot crypt. Um, yeah, that that's. And some Sherlock Holmes uh, music mixed in as well, but oh, uh, so it's it's a good it's it's a good showcase to to actually hear that without you know a bunch of loud sound effects and and dialogue. But yes, yeah, nice. Good. I also wanted to point out, and, and maybe there's a few times this shows up in the movie where so in the basement it looks like there's what are they chickens that are that are caged up? Yeah. And when he opens up Alucard's coffin, it looks like there's actually chicken feathers. <laughs> Yeah. In the dirt. And Uh is, is that, I mean, was that just by accident? Is that supposed to be some sort of like Southern you know gothic symbolism yeah of, right of you know the animal i i, I IM makes
0: makes a note of that on the in the trivia thing with this film and i don't know what the, the you see chickens at some point so i don't know if that's just yeah if, if someone's been sacrificing the chickens or something it's like uh, the, the
1: amadillo from draca 31 we have chickens yeah. and son of dracula yeah <laughs> it's
0: just it's a it's just the world's most half-assed feather pillow right <laughs> yeah. There's like three of them. I don't think that's gonna do it. It brings me um, back to
1: the current like Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken.
0: My my argument to that would be in a black and white film where they're underground and it's kind of dark and there's just a it's a shot of a bunch of dirt. I think you need something light colored within the dirt when he reaches in to make sense of what you're kind of looking at without context. context. Yeah. And I think it gives it scale and I think it gives it uh, like I said, the contrast. But that would just be my filmmaker, you know, theory. There you go.
1: Yeah. So Brewster is uh kind of discovered, or uncovered to be kind of nosing around. And Alucard has basically said, I'm I'm the master of this house. And Brewster, you know, he gets a little bit more humble and says, I'm just I'm I'm worried about Kay. You know, where's where's Kay? Yeah. So Alucard leads him back up to the bedroom that probably five minutes before was empty and we right. find Kay laying in bed looking, you know, a little pale and a little, you know, beautifully, got- beautifully gothic. Ghastly. Yeah. yeah. That,
2: that, that, that very first shot where, um, and I'm angry at the, the filmmakers that they didn't extend this out a little bit, but when Brewster first enters the room, you get this wonderfully lit shot of, of Kay's face and her, her, yeah. her face is just ghastly white and the expression on her face is very just unsettling. I mean, she is, she is now what she wants to become and she's very, very happy with it. And, and it's just, all that kind of comes out in this like two second <laughs> shot where you where you see her sitting oh,
0: up in bed and it's, it's just, very short with her with her yeah with her bangs and everything yeah. like, kind of angled in and so her makeup's beautiful. she's and she's 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 surrounded by white like lace and shrouds and and the things and stuff but it's like just this dark backward of the thing and I'm paused on it right now and it's just it is it's a stunning shot and I, I agree, Olivia. I wish. I wish less of the film had been less of the scene had been shot in in her profile, kind of on the other side of the bed, favoring Brewster. And I wish you know we'd had a little more of this. This is very gothic and really pretty. Yeah, and just wonderful casting. I mean, she just looks, be, I mean, so good and just so
1: natural. Um, you know, playing this, you know, just the, the mystic gothic. I mean, I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I love her in this film. She's just, she's fantastic. I wish she had a little bit more to do. I don't think she had the best lines, but she really didn't need to. Just visually, she's just so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it almost exactly. brings me back to like Zaleska. Like, didn't always have the best lines, but yeah. just so fun to so fun to watch. A little bit of a talk with with Brewster and Cade. Basically says, you know, we're I'm, I'm working with um, I'm working with my husband now. Kind of We're going to be working all night. We're going to be away all day and. Uh, not quite working all day, but basically away all day, right? They're gonna they yeah. doing some kind of experiment, something whatever, scientific mumbo jumbo. Um, we can't see anybody anymore. We're basically, gonna be like this this recluse. And please ask you know Claire not to come find us. Ask Frank, not, you know, never to look for me again. And that's basically it. And then Brewster, Alicard escorts Brewster out, and he's a little more with Kay's requests basically like you know I was not welcomed when I first came to Doc Oaks I was not welcomed and um I'm gonna remember that and just a little you know kind of your final warning Brewster you are you know if you come back in my house here without without my
2: permission you're a trespasser
0: yeah the, the, and, he spells it out this is you know it's her house and I'm her husband this is, this is my house now so I'm uh, the master
2: here right and, and he does this very, very almost un like and it's it's very, very effective. And, th- and this is one of the few scenes where, and don't misconstrue what I'm going to say, because if Lugosi was playing this, obviously it would have been done very differently. But this is something that I think belongs to Cheney that I'm not sure any other actor would be able to pull off because he's so so much bigger than brewster in this and he's he's standing perfectly still and tall yeah. and he's looking down and he, his head isn't tilted down to look at brewster his head is perfectly straight he's just look, literally looking down his nose yeah, to look absolutely. at him and his he is not animated he's not yelling or anything but you just get the sense of just this quiet rage that's just right on the surface oh, yeah. that mm. that, you, that you think is at any time he could just reach out and just snap this old doctor right in half and he's he's cheney is able to to convey that so effectively with doing very little with his voice you know using very little inflection it's just kind of that that body language and everything combined and the way that he pauses and just kind of like half-assed bows you know and then just walks away to let him you know see himself yeah. out of the house i think it's a great great scene that, that this cheney just did the there.
0: inherent threat in right in yeah him is, is is very very potent and, and i and i think i think what we keep working around is this idea that like i think a lot of people's problems with cheney as the dracula-esque character have more to do with with the the preconceptions of lugosi as the character than cheney's actual performance right wouldn't you agree right. I mean, that's, yes. I think, I think when I was younger, that was my hang up that, that I man, hopefully have managed to since get past a little bit.
2: Yeah. No, you're, I agree totally. You're exactly right.
1: And I always like, I mean, I like, say what you will about the Brewster character, but he, the actor himself, I think, plays as I mean, He looks like, oh, yeah, a wounded dog. I mean, he doesn't say one blip, he doesn't even look back up at Alucard. He puts his tail between his legs and gets the hell out of Doc Oaks because he's probably, he probably knows he was one second away from getting his neck
0: snapped. He's sensing it, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, and again. He
1: got out. So, next scene right after this is basically. We see Judge Simmons visiting Brewster back at the house. So, talking about Kay's insanity complaint. So, I'm not sure if he, if Brewster got Claire's um, permission or her sign off or whatever, but it sounds like Brewster has submitted this insanity complaint to the judge. And, you know, Simmons is basically like, I, you know, you don't have any kind of proof here. I, I can't okay this. So, basically, the judge kind of, you know, poo poos the insanity complaint. And uh, meanwhile, the judge receives a call from his wife that he, I guess I know she works for the court or whatever. But basically, long story short, that Frank Stanley has surrendered himself to the sheriff because he admitted to killing Kay. So now we have Judge Simmons and Brewster basically hightailing it to the sheriff's
2: department to find out you know what's going on with Frank.
0: Right, right. They got to go deal with this issue now. Like,
2: <laughs> and, and there's a great line that the the sheriff has because. To Brewster's credit, I I don't think he he's I think he knows kind of knows what's going on, but he doesn't fully understand it. I mean, because he's he's very adamant that, no, you know, Kay is alive. I talked to her, you know, sheriff, don't go down there. This this is a messy situation. Leave it alone. Everything's fine. And that's I mean, to be fair, that's something you would expect uh, an affluent doctor who's close to, you know, these these people with a lot of money to say. And the sheriff has a great line of you know, money and position don't hold any power over me. You know, I, I, he, Frank Stanley confessed to murder and I have to investigate it, you know? And and I just thought that was a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's an line that's easily probably glossed over, but I I just thought that was a nice touch they put in there to basically say that, you know, I, I don't care if you're, you know, who you are and what you say, this is my job and I'm going to. I'm yeah. going to follow through with it. I agree yeah. and, totally. And Doctor
0: Brewster, I think, is smart enough to know that if he starts talking about vampires, it's not going to help at this point <laughs> yeah. or this early point. It's not going to help his case. He works up to it, but like the sheriff is not a t- a receptive audience for that kind of uh, theorizing at this point, and he's he's savvy enough to know that.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to gloss over what the point you just made, Livio. So, as again, Brewster talking to the sheriff, and you know, the sheriff said, "Well, Frank, just com- uh, you know, confess to murder," and Brewster says, "Well, I just went out to Dark Oaks." I saw Kay, I spoke to Kay, Kay is fine, but regardless the sheriff doing his due diligence is gonna go now out to Doc Oaks to investigate. And of course, you know, Bruce goes along with them and Judge Simmons, so they reach Doc Oaks and they're exploring the grounds and whatnot and the sheriff's kind of poking around and sees this, you know, this mausoleum or where there's just a burial ground for you know the families. So opens it up. Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> and just arbitrarily opens up the first coffin that he sees. Yeah. And of course it's K. So everything that Brewster is, you know, it just, you know, said to the, the sheriff back in the office. Now Brewster is being looked at as a, you know, possible suspect in this murder.
0: Right. Like at a concept after the fact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, they go to the, the thing and, and, and despite the warnings, the first thing. Dr. Brewster does is split off, sneak off away from everybody else and start, you know, hardy-boying around. (laughs) And it does, it obviously does have a a result that he does find something, but it's like the guy just can't help it. And, but
2: again, this is, this is the, the thing about his character is, I, I so dislike him for doing that. But he's his intentions are are pure. I mean, he yeah. he knows what he saw last night, and he knows and it was normal.
0: Yeah.
2: But you know, he he's trying to in a roundabout way. He, he's trying to prove you know Frank's innocence. He's trying to prove that oh, my, there's something wrong here, and, and he can't do it because when he goes down there, everything, including the chickens, are gone,
0: <laughs> including the chickens. <laughs>
2: oh sure, uh,
1: God yeah I mean for him he is he's a little bit of a pill but you know at least I think he does legitimately talking about Brewster now you know I'm sure he was you know good friends with with the colonel and with the colonel's passing I think he does, you know fails some kind of uh you know res- responsibility Parental, to you know, kind of yeah. you know make sure that you know Claire's okay Kay's is okay he has this relationship with Frank so anyway so yeah now brewster's is kind of on the hot seat now yeah so and he
0: and he consults with uh his friend dr Laszlo uh from from Hungary right? Right, so this
1: is the next scene. So Brewster returns home, and it you know it says to you know, meets Doctor Laszlo or Professor Laszlo. and says, "Yeah, I've been grilled all day, um, you know, by the sheriff for my you know quote unquote lying about you know Kay." So whatever. So the time you know, Laszlo gets a little more into why how Alucard and calls him a descendant of right. Dracula, which you know allows us to think you know this isn't Chaney isn't isn't Lugosi reborn this right. is a you know, descendant which is nice because it's like okay, a no one's going to believe that Chaney is is
2: Lugosi and, and they right. should you know he's no. a different
1: no. so I like and, that I like the fact that they threw that in there
2: and to me that kind of closes the case for the whole question of well is he Dracula or is he is he not I mean when the title of the film is son of Dracula and they explicitly say in the film he's a descendant of Dracula I mean yeah. that that kind of yeah. says okay it's it's not dracula it's right. it's some form of spawn
0: yeah to, to be fair the movie sort of tries to have it both ways to some degree yes, but but i do. i i and i think that causes a lot of the confusion but, yeah, I, but- I do think yeah i mean I, I think it's just easier if we if we move forward with this idea that he is some sort of spawn of dracula whether he's a biological child or a, a vampiric offspring right
2: yeah, and to your point, Jim, you're exactly right because throughout the rest of the movie, he's only referred to as Count Dracula, and and, and they almost make it seem as if he's. Just the Count Dracula, so yep. so it, it it is a bit confusing in that regard. Yeah. You are right.
0: Just just like eventually the movie started referring to the Frankenstein monster as Frankenstein as well. Like it, yeah. it just starts sure. getting it pop cultures itself, kind of <laughs> these, <laughs> yes. these things. Um, they back it in itself. I like Doctor Laszlo. I I I feel like I, as an actor, you know he he does he does a fine job, but it's I, I don't know somehow that could have just snazzed a little bit up i mean the movie does sort of stop and you have this expository thing that takes quite a few minutes and stuff you know yeah. dr Lazo and him and stuff but obviously leads to a great confrontation and it's great
2: i think uh j edward bromberg the, the actor who plays him he he's a very i think he's a very good character actor because so in this time frame if you look at the three three films he made for universal would be invisible agent uh, son of dracula and Pillow of Death which is one of the inner Sanctum films mm. um in Invisible Agent he he plays this this very weaselly smarmy t- type of nazi uh commandant and, and it, it he's very effective in that completely different from Son of Dracula he he's more mellow he's oh, kind of yeah. meek he he's mm. he's he's kind of the old guy on the corner that wants to help everybody out and then in, in Pillow of Death he's this like uh shrewd I want to get everyone's money, even if it means murder type of interesting. I haven't
0: seen that. I can't wait to, that's great. He's
2: like a a fake seance type of guy, but, but but it's, it's three roles that are, I don't want to say back to back, but they're all within a year, year and a half of each other. And they kind of show his range. I think as a character actor, he he's, he kind of fell off of favor. He, He had some weird political beliefs as it, when it, Relates to communism. So in the fifties, he was. Uh, oh right, that would have. He, yeah, he, he was kind of. That would
0: have cut his career a bit short. Oh yeah, sure. he, did, he
2: didn't. He didn't do then. much after post World War II. But He would
0: have been, been a European emigre, right? Yes. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I think here we get into an interesting thing where we're we're in the midst of a of a wartime America, you know, in this film, and and I, I feel like I feel like there's maybe some decisions made. First of all, casting. I think I think casting Cheney Jr. Is, as 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 the count is is you know he's his his stars on the rise right now. Obviously, as we've said with with Wolfman and with you know he's he's there he's Universal's guy at the moment. Also, but with having the American accent, I wonder if Universal ever stopped and considered the blowback of having a Europe a vaguely European sounding character in these films yeah. in a time where Americans were hearing a, of some voices with European accents they were connotating very, very negative things on the radio. I just wonder if there, you you would have sat down in a newsreel and you would have probably heard Hitler talking in the newsreel. And then you go into this movie and it do, does Universal want their, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm saying this is like, you know, how the studio heads minds work. Do they want a character in their film? That sounds like that, that, that connotates that, does that, shift the, the character the the audience's mind out of the movie and make them think of more contemporary things that are going on I don't know but I just think that's an interesting uh, I, I had a note about that and this was a good place to place to pop that yeah, in there it's,
2: so it's, i i, I kind of have a theory uh, and again i' uh, Anyone that knows me knows I'm a huge Trini Jr. fan. So very early on in his career, when, when he finally changed his name, we're thinking like mid-30s or so, he got a little bit of attention, a little bit of press about that. And so he did some interviews. And one of the early interviews is it, actually really telling. And I don't think it, it, a lot of people have seen this, but he's very open with his limitations as an actor, especially at that time. Uh, he talks about how uncomfortable he is with you know romantic scenes. But specifically, he talks about his his trouble with dialogue and he, he, he calls, I get the sense that lawn was his own was lawn was Lon's biggest critic. And, yeah. and there's, there's examples of that throughout, you know, throughout his career, but he's specific in this early interview, he specifically calls out that, you know, I, I have trouble, you know, saying, you know, long and complicated, you know, dialogue in, in scripts sometimes. And I, so I wonder in regards to the accent, you, you know, you mentioned the new European and, and, how that would look and and sound like? I, I think he. I, I wonder if he didn't make a conscious decision that uh, you know. I, hey, I'm. I know that I'm not going to pull off <laughs> anything other than a, yeah, you know, Midwest Oklahoma accent. So I'm not even going to try.
0: <laughs> I think. I think the worst acting choice Lon Chaney Jr. could have made possibly in this film would have been to try to sound like Count Dracula. I, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I. I think we're all fortunate that he and and or universal chose to, to go this way.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. That could have been an absolute disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been bad.
0: <laughs> um, and knowing your limitations is good. Um, so we, I mean, so we have this whole scene where, yeah, uh, you know, we have a lot of exposition about uh, the the vampires, about our counts. I think I'm just him the count from now on uh, his history, the idea the possibility that he is a descendant, you know, all this stuff. And then, obviously I, you know to me it gets into a thing and, and and you guys are both i know old school sherlock holmes fans too where it gets into this idea that brewster is confronted with the the holmes thing where it's like when you eliminate the impossible whatever you're left however improbable is is has to be the solution and and he's a man of science again we, we go in this with a lot of the characters in these films but he's he is left based on what what he learns from laszlo he's left with the only option is is that he has to accept that there is a, a an undead creature uh, living amongst them in this town that needs to be destroyed. And as soon as he sort of comes to that term, to terms with that idea, that creature shows up, which is a, it's a, this is yeah. a great scene. I actually love this scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, Lazlo hit it right on the right on the nose. Right. He's
1: like, yeah, they could sometimes turn into bats, wolves and, you know, sometimes vapor. And as he says, vapor, this, va- <laughs> yeah, <right>. Q, <laughs> this Q. vapor coming from the door, from the door slam. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we get, you know, the, got about a, a face off finally with Alicard and Brewster, you know, all the BS is over, um, you know, you know who I am and and I know who you are. And basically he goes after Brewster and finally gets that, you know, the big chokehold on him that we'll call him yeah. the, big, the big show chokehold, Livio wrestling, uh, <laughs> Whatever, gonna choke, yeah. gonna choke slam, uh, a choke slam Brewster until, yeah. of course, Lazlo pulls out that cross, and um, you know, as most vampires do, he you know kind of falls back and turns back into to vapor and um, and and
2: disappears. But yeah, kind yeah. Of a, a really cool scene between the three guys here. No, it, it absolutely is, and uh, again, you know, Cheney. The first thing he does is he brings his hands up and he he starts kind of playing with his with his ring that that he has you know as he's mm-hmm. talking here and and also and I'm not sure I, I don't know if this was a mispronunciation on cheney's part where he just said it wrong and nobody caught it but um I think he meant to say decadent you know he 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 meant to say the line you know this land is or or this land is not dry and decadent like ours but he pronounces it decadent <laughs> mm. and oh yeah and, and and I don't know if that's uh Again, I'm one of Lon's biggest fans, but I'm I'm calling out a minute, you know, mess up here. But I I don't know if it's if that's something that just got past the the editing, or maybe that's just how it was pronounced, you know, eighty years
0: ago. I I, I don't know, but it, there's possibly like a you know, it's a it's that slight mid Atlantic thing creeping in or something. That yeah, you could have possibly heard someone like Cary Grant or someone back in the day you know throw throw the accent on this the different because i hear alternatively sometimes in movies from this era too Mm -hmm. not alternatively like alternatively yeah so i don't know um i have to listen to that again i never heard that
2: yeah but but i mean i my my one wish for this scene was that dr brewster would have just died instantly right there (laughs) Uh, i mean (laughs) Laszlo could have been you know the hero throughout throughout the rest but but, but scott
0: uh, scott, scott livio, livio hates brewster almost as much as we hated that uh, what's his name in draco's daughter <laughs> oh
1: uh yeah uh, oh Otto krueger Otto,
0: Otto krueger yeah i'm really rooting for the bad guy at this point because so, gosh that guy's annoying <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it happens yeah so uh but uh, they are saved again by this the, by the cross right yeah so um oh, dr it, laszlo
1: Yeah, exactly. So at this point now, they know, you know. Again, I guess there's really no more mystery. So Alucard is the vampire. He's married to Kay. Um, So obviously, Kay is, you know, I guess they, they kind of understanding now that you know Kay is vampiric. So the first discussions now in the movie of of Claire sending orders for Kay's cremation, right? So fast forward now. So Frank is in jail and is visited by Kay, who is now full full vampire and, you know, his use of her, you know, vampiric powers. So it turns into this cool vapor once again, and actually, no, she's a, a bat, right? Comes in, bites Frank. Yeah. Um, yeah so it yeah. gets her sustenance, I guess, for the day, you know, he isn't trying to, you know, isn't trying to turn him yet, but I guess, you know, obviously needs his blood to survive and then transforms into human K and they have, you know, kind of a, a back and forth. And so Kay kind of, you know, explains to, to Frank her whole plan that she's been using Alucard the whole time. To become immortal and undead and, you know, wishes that Frank, being her lifetime love, would join her in this this
0: immortality. Yeah, this has all been a plan of hers yes which is a great you know we hit on it obviously earlier in talking about the episodes so we gave it away and now obviously i don't know who's listening to these episodes of Borgo pass if they yeah. haven't watched the movies because it seems like it's gonna be a lot of talking about stuff yeah. you don't understand <laughs> yeah but you know it's been a plan right before this we do have the little scene where so dracula leaves the doctor dr boosters and then apparently immediately goes and finds a little boy and bites him with which like what a jerk. yes <laughs> <laughs> come on dude uh and they bring the boy in and again this is why we're saying we we do see uh doc, dr Brewster do some actual doctoring i i just love this moment you know he, he determines the two bites on the neck and you know figures out okay this is what this is this is dracula and he does this thing where he, he dips in the eye in and he draws little crosses on each of the the bite marks which i'm like that's a cool little i've never seen that done ever in another film about vampires and, and it just seems unique to this a little it- you know quirk to to this film. And what a cool thing. Does he think it's going to, does he think it's going to heal the bite? Well, I guess the iodine's (laughs) the iodine's to heal. My theory is the iodine is to heal the, you know, the, the hurt, the physical hurt. Sure. And the cross is to help the iodine hurt, heal the supernatural. Okay. Part of the hurt. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm just spitballing on that. Yeah, bit. no, it makes sense. I mean, I wasn't sure if it was
1: just—I mean, where he, the boy was a victim in the in the event that Alec had comes back for the boy, like he's got you know kind of oh it could infection. be I don't know. Like it was kind of. I don't want to
2: overthink this too much. You know, you know, yeah. Jim, you you put a really positive spin on something that was going to like blast you know, Booster <laughs> on, which I, I didn't think of iodine. I, for some reason, I had it in my mind. Like it was some sort of like paint or, or something. Oh, it, oh, and, right. I, I, and I'm thinking, all right, this 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 supposed doctor has just given alcohol to a hysteric person yeah, and is right. now now painting over, you know, wounds. What, a, know, what it, a
0: quack. Exactly. A <laughs> <What kind laughs> guy is this? <laughs> and I mean, he is just he, I mean, no one's told him to do this. He's just making this shit up as he goes at this point. But he has seen the cross, the power of the cross against. Uh, the, the power of the undead. So you know, he's. he's, I think he's just taking the next logical step. Who knows? So, um, but you know I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy, guys. So for all
1: the heat I've taken for for kind of hating on David Manners, at least Livio now has been <laughs> hating on Bruce to pretty bad here. So.
0: Well, yeah, yeah I, listeners, I mean, listeners, I don't you know, the, listeners, the Frank, the Frank Raven uh, Frank Raven. club's going to come after him. Yeah. I was, gonna, I was about to say, I I, I
2: don't want to burst your bubble there, but I think there's more people in the David manners <laughs> fan club than there is in the Frank Craven. Very possibly, club. but uh, I could be wrong. We'll see. We're going
1: to find out. <laughs> yeah. So Frank is in jail and is visited by uh, Kate, who kind of explains the whole story of wanting him to join in for immortality. And, Kind of goes so far as to say, you know, you, before I can turn you into the immortal undead with me, you need to do one thing for me as a human, and kill Alucard. So again, who now who is who is the real monster of this movie? It's yeah. it, it feels like it's Kay. So,
2: yeah, and a, a couple of interesting things here. And again, this this brings me back to kind of my what I've said before, which is this is a movie of firsts. You know, she she mentions two things here, which is. You know, as a human, before I change you, you have to kill Dracula. And I thought that was interesting that, that you know, it's almost as if as a vampire, we can't kill each other.
0: Yeah. And, and, and in, in right. future
2: you know vampire fiction and, and things like that, that 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 has been very much explored like it's a, it's almost a cardinal sin if if one vampire were to kill another
0: right and, or if and, perhaps you're the progeny of of one yeah, you can't yeah, right because maybe exactly. if she kills him then she loses her her vampiric yeah. thing who knows exactly that's what and, i always thought but yeah
2: and another thing that she, that she says is as frank is When she tells him that, you know, if you might understand, if you know that his real name is an Alucard, it's Dracula. And he says, well, isn't Dracula supposed to be? a?" And she cuts him off and she says, we don't like that term. Yeah, Just call us undead, you know, as if they they find the word vampire offensive. Mm -hmm. And, And even insulting. Yeah. Even later on when. When Frank confronts Alucard at the end, he he calls him, you know, a vampire. You're a your loathsome thing. And when he says that, Cheney's face just kind of like yeah. turns to disgust, you know. I, I, so it's it's a very interesting thing that the, is very lightly touched on here that that, again, it wasn't ever explored or even mentioned in, in previous films.
1: Yeah. So even with K2, when she's having the dialogue with Frank and it's, you know, very loving and, you know, I'm doing this, I'm basically doing this for us, Frank. And you know, of course, he's mortified by this. He's like, "Well, Kate, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do so this." She yeah. looks at him and says, "Well, you don't have a choice." So, right. with, I mean, human K probably wouldn't have said that to him, right? Is this? I mean, the the vampire curse must have must you know be getting into her. You know her mind a little bit, right? I mean, it seems like a very you know kind of a dark thing to say. To Losing say.
0: what's left of her, right? Like, ooh, humanity. Yeah. like humanity. Like yeah. hey, Frank,
1: you don't you really don't have a choice here. You're like you're gonna do this because I'm telling you to.
0: Well, I think the other option is. I mean, he's he's gonna spend the rest of his life in jail for yeah. killing her. So, so yep. I guess his only option to not do that is to, is to do what she says and, and follow. Her. So, um, okay. No, it's a I, great mean, I read it the
1: other way. Like she's almost like willing him, like, you know, you're just a pawn Frank, like until you yeah, join yeah. me on the other side, you're just a human piece of flesh. Right. Yeah. I don't, and maybe I misread it wrong, but
0: no, I just, I do think it's one of those great things. that's open to, you know, you bring your own context to it. Sure. Um, For sure.
2: And if there's one, I mean, we talk about how much of a monster Kay is, and she really is. uh, For everything that she does, I mean, she is the cause of every bad thing that has happened here. Yeah. Uh, Because I get the sense that Alucard wouldn't have just decided, hey, I'm going to go down to the Southern United States. Yeah. Um, She very much is in her own way. Devoted to Frank, and she does love him, and she she shows us a little bit. It, it rewind a bit, you know, to the scene where Brewster and Alucard are talking to Kay as she's in the bed right after she has she'd been killed. She she kind of talks about him a lot, and, and that's what draws that one kind of dirty look from Alucard to Kay, you know, which she talks about. You know, tell Frank I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. and she 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 goes on it more here in the cell. You know, where talks about you know what is what this is a a chance for us to have an immortal life together, you know, to be able to spend our explore our love and never have it end. And and in her own, again, it's a morbid, a a very unconventional way to look at things, but you know, she, she doesn't want Dracula. She, she doesn't want to be with him. She wants to be with Frank, but she just wants to, wants it not to end. She doesn't want to, you know, what doesn't want either one of them to die in in 40 years. So it's, it's, it's kind of the one redeeming quality i guess that that she might have she
0: she's motivated by love she just doesn't quite get it somehow it's like she it's like it. it's like yeah. there was something kind of wrong with her from the start and it's what drew her to the esotericism and stuff but but that didn't fix Some kind of basic moral failing that she has. Exactly right. I think. Well said. Yeah. Well said. This is a great scene because what you know, she's she's talking to Frank, and then she's interrupted by her own sister, who shows up, who's going to actually talk to Frank, and she's going to talk. You know, Claire's a great we haven't really talked about Evelyn Anchors much in, in this, and she does sort of play like a third tertiary character in the in the show. But to I mean, Claire's gonna show up to talk to the man who who killed her sister, which is let's just talk about like that's a pretty intense kind of thing to do. Yeah. And she knows it was a mistake and she knows you know it was it was a tragic accident, but it in to her credit, she's still going to try to reach out to this guy who was still who was at one time you know very close to both of them obviously and their father uh there's been so much tragedy for claire in the last few days i mean god her her father and her sister have just both died within how many weeks or you know days or something you know she, she's gonna try and you know have a have a conversation with them and he talks he he reveals to her that he's he's talking to clay that the to k the k still alive and she's kind of thinks he's he's well you know yeah you know we we talked to the people we've lost still and stuff and he's like no 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 she's She's right here. And that's when <laughs> I, she's like, oh, crap, this guy. Is- I think Anchors was a
1: good. Yeah, she doesn't have a whole ton to do in this, but I just think her just her whole persona being Evelyn Anchors, like you very, very milquetoast. Yeah. But I think you needed that kind of character
0: to play off of Kay. Right. I think it's just she, think she always plays someone with with a good head on her shoulders. Right. And, and so that's overt- a good contrast to Kay, who doesn't quite live in our reality, right? right. Even when she before she was a vampire, she wasn't living in our reality. So very, yeah, very she's very the innocent. practical one of the family. Probably right. the older one, you know. Yeah. a oh, very like innocent, virginal, yeah. Christian. And, and like yeah. night and day, you know, the blonde and the and the and the brunette, the the light and the dark and stuff. It's a yeah, exactly. know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good bit of casting. Yeah we never hear about the mother right i mean the mother's long gone obviously but we never know anything about her or something it's interesting and,
2: and i think this is also the point where frank resigns himself to the fact that he knows he's never going to walk away from this you know regardless yeah, of I whatever so. regardless of whatever happens i mean there's no way to to prove in, in the south to to a jury of his peers that he's of course. innocent that, that no one is going to believe anything that anybody is, is going to say so i think you kind of you can kind of see that in, in his, in his attitude and in, in his body language, even when, you know, Claire asks him, you know, do you know where, where Alucard, you know, is at during the day? And he, he kind of gets defensive. He's like, well, why do you think I would know? And you know, it's, he, I think he realizes that, okay, I'm totally on my
0: own and I'm, I'm not getting out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. He's, he's fallen into this trap and he's not coming out of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then the—I mean—he guys, he's playing kind of—he's got his own agenda until Claire finally mentions the cremation of Kay that she's going to put in the order to have her cremated immediately, and then Frank, you know, completely
0: loses himself. Oh right, yeah, because there, there's a plan now to to cremate Kay just as a precaution uh, in case that that any of this vampire malarkey, you know, has some truth to it. Uh, the idea is that if we, if we actually just immolate her body, then, yeah, we, we we make sure her soul is safe. So, Kay, you know, he,
1: I was probably outside of the jail cell, but here's this. And then once, you know, Claire and everyone leaves, Kay comes back into the jail cell and says, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're running out of time here. So, basically, you know, Kay has a nice, you know, transformation scene, turns into the vapor, And um, kind of breaks Frank out of jail, gets him a gun. And, um, you know, as Frank (laughs) goes flying out of jail and runs past Brewster and, um, you know, Laszlo with the
0: gun. And he's just, you know, full-blown. Just He just runs out past all the guards. And so no one's really quite ready for him because they have no understanding how, he would, would be able to get out, but he does. And I, yeah, I mean, at this point we're in kind of the, the, the final, you know, act three, the,
1: the climatic, you know, final scene. So Frank is immediately heads to the swamp in search of Alucard. And it's just a great, you know, kind of a great scene between the two guys. So obviously he finds the swamp, goes down to the drain and yeah. um, finds the coffin and then you know Alucard returns from whatever debauchery he was working on for that particular <laughs> evening, and they have this great face-off in the cave. Um, and then you know kind of you know pushes them back, and you know Frank stepping back, stepping back. To, and then Alakad finally sees that you know prior to him you know arriving on the swamp that Frank had set his coffin on fire. And yes, you know of course. And then we see you know Chaney in full blown. Just
2: screaming, panic mode. Um, right. Yeah. He, he totally loses it. And, and, you know, when when they first meet, I, I love Chaney's line where he says, it's seldom that my enemies are so accommodating. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, up until the point that he sees his coffin is on fire, you could, he, he's got so much. Arrogance and so much confidence yes, yes. that right. that you know w- whatever you do and say doesn't matter. I don't care that you're here. You found my hiding spot. You know I'm, I'm going to destroy you. And, and then uh, again, I i guess back to what I was saying before with that. I, I kind of get the sense that he's a, a newer vampire. That he's yeah. he's still somewhat unrefined in how to to handle his powers and his his abilities. He just completely loses it. And and, and I know that this this one line. Brings out all of the kind of the the, the haters, if you will, mm-hmm. yeah. of Cheney's performance, which, you know, when he, he grabs him, he says, he's put it out. Do you hear me? Uh, because <laughs> it's a very, it's a very American Midwest, you know, thing to say. But uh, and, and I guess I can see both sides. I, I can see where that's not something you would expect a vampire from Europe to say. Yeah. But at the same time, Cheney is completely in the moment. and, and, and yeah. he, He's he's totally lost it. He has just gone off the wall berserk and that's just that's just how it came out you know in cheney and and i think they did a right thing by by leaving it in because it, it's i don't know what the word is just it's raw. Pure. Just pure, yeah. Pure yeah. raw just pure pure raw just emotion yeah yeah
0: yeah and i feel it's, sorry
2: yeah. for for robert page uh, because cheney was not known to be gentle or graceful in some of these yes. scenes like you know some of the mummy movies he, he kind of strangled some of the older guys a little bit too much uh, and you can tell just from Robert Page's body language that he, he, he's probably legitimately scared for his life because he's got this huge fire on one side of him and he's got this sweaty large vampire you know just <laughs> possibly just, inebriated yes just just you know just tossing him around like he he's a literally a rag doll i mean robert page yeah. was not a small man but you yeah. see cheney just I mean, he just manhandles them. He just moves in, in, him in, in wherever in he true wants. True
0: Lenny style, you know? Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> and that's, that I mean, I'm assuming it's a stunt double. He goes right into that damn fire.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, someone, someone goes right through that fire, and that's it. That's it. As, as having been on set, with fire and stuff like that. That that wigs me out to seeing anyone oh God, rolling yeah. a, across fire and stuff Yeah. I mean luckily I mean, there was like water right act. next
1: yeah there's like yeah. a little pond next to the to the burning coffin, which I'm sure wasn't there by accident. But my
0: gosh, yeah, that that actor goes right into the flames. Well I mean doing a fire gag like that before you're you even actually have what we now consider a fire extinguisher. <laughs> it's, right those don't even exist yet you have someone with a hose i think pretty creepy and then and even cheney is has a cape on and it's hard yes. to figure out where your cape is and what yeah i, I imagine right. they treated them, them with something they didn't have the flame return materials that we have now but you know now you have gels and stuff where you can light your hand on fire and you won't even feel it it's amazing but not so much back then yeah uh,
2: no, i'm glad you brought that up because when um so after the stuntman kind of falls into the flame and then into the fire probably to you know cool the second degree burns he just got um yeah, Ch- and and Cheney tries to put out the fire, and he realizes it's in vain. And and I think this is a pretty cool thing because um, you guys have talked about this before, where the monster eventually gets cornered and he just dies, and the movie just ends. Yeah. Uh, Alucard makes one last attempt. He knows. Yeah. I think at that point he knows. Okay, I'm I'm not putting this fire out. I'm done for. But I'm still going to try to kill you first.
0: Yeah. And so He's gonna so take him with him. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And so when when Cheney is kind of a, a wider shot, but when he leans down to pick him up. Out of that that water, his cape goes right into that fire, and yeah. and the camera kind of cuts away quick. I, I wonder if if he didn't kind of see him someone there. yelled <laughs> cut
0: or someone on set a yeah. safety mm-hmm. thing came in or something like that. It's very possible they would have had spotters and everybody around and stuff. This is this is change. This is chain Junior. This is their main dude right now. They're going to be careful right. about the guy and 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 like you said, Livio, I, I would be willing to bet that Cheney was a guy that you couldn't always trust to be careful for himself. No, either. Exactly. He would get into it and he would just go for it. He was a wrestler. He was a, you know, he was a, he was a rowdy guy and you couldn't always depend on him maybe looking out for the other actors, but and maybe always not always looking out for himself as well.
2: Right. Well, I mean, he did that for fun, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly common knowledge, you know, him and Broderick Crawford in Universal yeah. would, would literally get drunk and just beat the crap out of each other, They're, you know, for a good fitness. time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he, he's no, he doesn't shy away from, from getting no. himself into danger
0: no he was i mean we could call we'd call him a man's man i guess now i don't know but uh yeah no he had he had that side of him this tunnel set i gotta say though, is, is amazing i don't know that it, it's it, it what it, is it supposed to be a irrigation tunnel or a a water it's supposed to be a,
2: like a drain yeah yeah
0: yeah it's just it's so crude and awful and and but and we it's it's brilliant though because they somehow figure a way to get a crypt into the south right i mean we're basically in an underground labyrinth or tunnel of this mm-hmm. thing that has a t-junction and everything you know there's water and the fire and everything you know, there's all these elements going on here and yeah. um no I, I do i i think i think cheney's great at this moment and i just he's he's saddled with so many things and it's a bit thankless what he has to do. And some of these lines, I agree, are are just they're awkward lines. And, and you know, yeah. in Black Cat, you know, Scott, you know, Olivia, you heard when you edited it, we talk about some of these undeliverable lines, they would throw it at some of these actors. And sometimes someone like the Lugosi could could get it off and and make it an amazing moment in a film. Sometimes not so much. Yeah, right? I mean, this
1: is a lot of I think it's a lot of ad libbing. And like I said, I I totally agree. I'm glad they didn't cut it. Yeah. It's just it is what it yeah. is very raw and yeah. So yeah, I mean, he goes to choke out Frank, and luckily, you know, Donna's is is, has appeared, and we have a nice little um, you know stock footage of the sun rising, and you know, before too long, Alucard Dracula is dead, falls into you know the 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 water that we'd spoken about, and you see that kind of hand reaching up and grabbing like a branch and he's got the dracula ring on and yeah and and dies and then
0: we've got it goes back to the skeleton. Uh, livio you help us out is this the first time we see the skeletal remains of dracula as his yes
2: yes dracula- it is because uh, you see that
0: a lot in um yep. house frankenstein house dracula but yeah
2: yeah so so uh, again back to the first and, and of, of this movie and it's seen probably more seen in house of frankenstein house of dracula because they're probably the more viewed movies compared to this one but yeah. this is the first time we see kind of the the human or humanesque form of of a vampire go yeah. to to a skeleton um yeah, yeah I, well i take that back i i'm not sure what came first whether it was return of the vampire or son of dracula because th- they're both made in 1943 yeah yeah the yeah. the end of return of the vampire lugosi does like literally melt into a skull. Right. That's when, true. So uh,
0: yeah. But they I, would probably have probably been filming concurrently. This is this comes out at so. the end of 43, right? This comes out yeah. in November, something like that. Yeah. Uh,
2: um yeah. So they went into production, I think. Yeah, you're right. Because um it, it was around the, the first of the year 43 when when Chinny was Uh, rumored to be in the phantom and and was was wanting to go into the army and all that stuff so yeah this would have come out the very end of uh, 43 i believe i could be wrong
0: correct interesting those out there correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that's what it is i'll just one more thing i just want to know i know we're right at the end stuff like that i do find it funny that dracula who is trying to the count let's call him who is trying to to travel a little bit under the radar here does still feel the need to monogram everything He owns his (laughs) his ring. And even, I mean, yeah, it says Alucard on the coffin, but it's still like a pretty much a Dracula crest. And it's just, it's, I just find it really funny. (laughs) Like He can't, the, the, I guess, I guess, you know, along with fire, the cross, garlic, you know, uh, everything like that. One of the vampires' greatest weaknesses is, is its own arrogance. I I it, yes. it, it's the thing that they always use. You never really see a really self-conscious vampire. There's no like Woody Allen version of a vampire where he's like, <laughs> Oh, I don't know if my fangs are really long enough. I kind of feel insecure about it. <laughs> you know, the vampire always is this by by nature, this creature of, of arrogance, and it's always ends up being its undoing.
2: No, yeah, you're right. It, and you mentioned the the kind of the crest. So the the Dracula crest was the same thing in House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and even Abbott Costello Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Right. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's a raven, which yeah, I thought it, was interesting. It, it, so
0: just slightly differently done. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And again, I always joke that everyone everyone can always recognize the Dracula crest, whether it's Bud Abbott or anybody's <laughs> yeah. like, hey, it's the Dracula crest. Like, okay. So yeah. So so here we are at the end of the film. Um. Yeah. That skeleton hand dissolve is always great with the ring on it. You know, it looks really cool. And Frank, there's this moment, I think, where you think like, well, wait. If Dracula's is dead, does that does, will 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 Kay return to normal? Will she be just safe with the thing? And and uh, you know Frank comes out. It's like no, 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 I just burned her. It's a so so really dark. tough,
1: really tough scene. And this is yeah. you know very you know non, uh, uh, I'd say an ununiversal, definitely yeah. a down downer ending. So yeah, Frank, you know upon killing Alicard, returns to Doc Oaks. Uh, We see a scene of you know Kay in her coffin and, and kind of wondering what Frank is going to do. And yeah. He takes a ring off. I don't know if it was like an engagement ring or takes a ring off his finger, puts it on Kay's hand, and burns burns Kay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yep. that
1: literally how the movie ends is, you know, Frank surrounded by the sheriff and Brewster, you know, watching Kay burn. And he looks yeah. awful and it's
0: everyone just feels awful. I'm sorry. He returns to the house and, and, and does <laughs> yeah. this. I'm sorry. I was, I, was, I had it mixed up. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. It. No, he's yeah. at Doc Oaks. Yeah. 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 But yeah. yeah and, they, there's this moment where you're like, this could almost have a happy ending. And you're like, no, it doesn't. Oh,
1: it's an awful ending. It's a downer and
2: Frank looks awful and everyone's depressed. Yeah. And uh, this guy's
0: life is d- over, you know, done. obviously.
2: Done. And it, it, it's, uh, you know, you guys have said this many times and in the, the Black Hat episode too, where it seems like everything from like 1935 on ends in some form of an explosion
0: or right. a fire, <laughs> or, you
2: know, that there's there's some type of big, you know, action type thing.
0: Finale, and, yeah.
2: and this is not like that at all, and, oh. and and this just the the beautiful music that that Hans Salter composed. Again, this was this was originally made for the very end of The Invisible Man Returns, where, where you see Vincent Price kind of. Kind of materialize, um, but what what Salter did for this movie was um, I'm getting in the weeds here, my music knowledge, but the the Universal I guess scoring department you you had a an A orchestra and a B orchestra kind of like you had A and B films, and so obviously the A orchestra for all the bigger productions like Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. and and their main their main money makers had was a bigger orchestra, more instruments, better recording equipment. The, the B stage at this time was under construction. So Salter had use of, of a bigger orchestra and, and that's why uh, a few of the movies around this time, uh, specifically this one and the mummy's ghost. If you listen to the music in those, in these two movies, it's so much more richer. It, it, it's so much more fuller. You can hear higher highs and lower lows, but Salter was able to kind of reorchestrate this, this piece of music to, to fit this. And, and there's oh. no dialogue. There's no, there's hardly very little sound effects except for the fire. And it just builds to kind of the slow, you know, sad uh, crescendo. And it, it's just an awesome, even when the the camera pans, zooms into to Frank's face, you see the people in the background, they kind of turn away as if to right. to only show him. Right. And, and, you know, that, you know, I just... Basically, burn my my childhood love. You
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly, to,
2: to, to save her,
1: I'm, I'm with you, man. I've seen this movie so many times, and every time I watch it, I'm all. It's like half of me expects there to be like something else to make it. Kind of, oh, that's that's nice, but yeah. man, this this film ends like your dog just died. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, you know. And we haven't talked about Robert Siodmac who's kirk Tiamac's brother, and they're pretty competitive. And and when when Robert came on the film. Kirk, who had been working on the script, got kicked was, off because yeah, he was fired. <laughs> he, he didn't want to work with his brother. It's funny. It, there was the competitive thing from childhood. But Robert, you know, we talked some of these films, and like let's call it, let's say maybe House of Horrors or Captive Wild Woman or something like that. Some of the lesser, the, the B, very low end B Universal films from the forties. They were they're made by very competent directors, but they, these directors were hired because they could get the day's shoot shooting done and bringing the film in reasonably on budget and on time and they were they were just you know journeyman directors and stuff. Uh, Robert Siomax, not that director Robert Siomax is has something to say and he it really comes through in this what what could be have been a real B grade low grade like a B minus film becomes kind of a B plus A minus uh, a universal film. Yeah. And I think it's due to a lot of the talent that came, came to bear on the, the film, but, but Robert Shulbeck deserves a mention in, in all that. Uh, uh, definitely. You're so
2: right. And I can't believe that I haven't brought up, you know, the, his direction and, and kind it's, of the yeah. status of this, this film. So, uh, I've heard it described. So I've, I've got a book here that I'm, I'm going to kind of plug and Um, there's a, it's, there's a series of, of books, kind of film books that, that, feature a script and a lot of production history and there's one on son of dracula It's written by gary rhodes who's a who's a prominent lugosi historian and also tom weaver who's a, a very prominent uh, universal horror historian uh, and they kind of go into depth on you know this, this could be the first supernatural film noir you, yeah. you know because because this is really unlike anything that that we had seen before right? and you could really made the case that a lot of films were influenced by this style of, of of filmmaking from from the plot how it works with with dracula being more of a device than the actual villain mm-hmm. uh, to the the setting and just how it was shot and how just how atmospheric it is and it's the uh, pessimism too like yeah 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 after this yeah that
0: everyone nothing really gets resolved everybody ends back sort of where they started you know yeah which is a very noir kind of thing you see um yeah Now, fantastic and i just i'm so livio thank you so much for being on this episode i'm i'm it was <laughs> so good to have uh someone who really wanted to champion this film and it made me sit go back and and watch this with with a without some of the stigma that 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 unfortunately comes part and parcel with it i don't know why i don't know how this film became a little bit of a punching bag within the universal Canon, but, uh, I, I hope I hope people listen to this episode too. And I hope they go back and sit back and watch it again and go, you know what? Yeah, this is this is worthy of, of being talked about. This is worthy of, of being remembered, this is worthy of being counted up there with all the other great, yeah. great films. I mean, interview of the vampire
1: doesn't get made because you know, if this doesn't get made. A lot I agree. of the like you said, the Christopher Lee, the 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 yeah. proactive, active vampires, and you know, those yeah. films don't get made, you know, maybe yeah. if this film doesn't get made. So it's yeah. not a perfect film, but but you know, that's right. The,
0: the, the, the the defects of it are as interesting as, as the great things.
2: Right. And, and it's got so many talented people working behind it from, from Chaney to Robert Seald to, to other people in the production to obviously to Louise Albritton. And and, and no one phones it in, you know, I I think Robert Seald gave it his all in the direction of this movie. And and it really shows. And, and I think, you know, I'm glad you said that Jim. I, I, I think this, and I go back to what I said earlier. You know, if, if there's a film that's representative of of Lon Chaney Jr.'s just film career as a whole, it'd be this one. Because to your point, yes, there are defects and there are kind of parts where you're like, eh, okay. yeah, okay. But overall, when you kind of ignore the the conventional. Uh, um, criticism Mm -hmm. and and you kind of get into to what's actually there to the the meat on the bone as i said you find that there's there's a lot of good stuff there and it's like you said it's so much worthy to to talk about and to go back and and revisit so i i really appreciate you guys Having me uh, on here, this is this has been a thrill for me.
0: Oh, definitely, Us too man. That was really fun. I'll definitely do it again, man. You you
2: brought your A game and such a great film, and so happy
1: we could do this. And you know, so happy to you know, have you join in the family here. You've been just fantastic. So Absolutely, such a honor for us too to you know finally share some uh, some audio space with you, and just such a good time. So really appreciate it, man.
2: Oh no, it, it was great. You guys are, I mean, I, I can't say enough great things about the podcast. It, it's 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 fantastic from the the very first episode, you know, up to now. And, you know, hopefully that the downloads don't tank after I've been on, um, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. but,
2: you know, just, just, I very much, I, I appreciate you guys going into all, all of the films, not, not just the main ones, but all of them and the way you guys handle it. It's like, I've, I've said this before, you know, privately but it's 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 like a conversation you know between friends it's not it's not you're not hit over the head with one opinion or another you're just you're exploring all options all options and it's all it's all open to interpretation so you guys are doing a great thing so i hope it hope it continues for for a long time to come
1: all right guys well thank you so much for joining the bogle pass horror podcast
2: Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment.
0: This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast.